All right, welcome everyone to an exciting edition of the EOS Fireside Chat for today, November 16th. We got an exciting show today. We're talking EOS Network Ventures. Ask me anything with our two favorite guests, Yves Larose and Zach Golf from the ENF. Um, so I'm sure we'll dive deep into that. Uh, I've got a few questions uh, for the guys myself, and I'm sh and we'll open it up to everyone as well. So we'll have plenty of time to get through all of the questions. There's lots to talk about on that subject, of course, but that's not the only thing we'll be talking about. Token 2049 happened last week, as did the Web Summit. The EVM and Ideathon finals and winners were announced uh, last week. Pomelo Season 4, applications are open and other goodies to talk about regarding Pomelo. And uh, also, we're going to mention the Yield Plus plan for the Pizza DeFi protocol. So if you're new here, let me just brief you in. Let me just give you a quick update on what's been going on with EOS. So EOS is a layer one smart contract platform that is governed by its community. The only crypto network that has had a foundation emerge organically from the community years after the launch of the network. Since the creation of the EOS Network Foundation one year ago, the new EOS has seen an incredible acceleration of progress and innovation. The EOS Network Foundation has built an excellent team that has been able to quickly establish essential frameworks that empower the EOS community to do its best work and live its best life through foundational initiatives like the recognition grants, the Blue Papers research series, the Pomelo crowdfunding platform, the direct investment framework, and the ongoing EOS Roadshow, the community has been activated and energized to a level not seen since the launch of the network in 2018. Many of these initiatives are starting to blossom, such as the great successes of Recover Plus and Yield Plus, which we talked about last week, and the creation of the EOS Network Ventures, which will be covering in detail today on the show. It's obvious that EOS is in the midst of an epic narrative reversal and the new EOS has the potential to become the greatest crypto comeback story of all time. My name is Stefan. I'm one of the co-founders of EOS Nation, currently a top-ranked block producer on EOS and other antelope chains, and I am honored and happy to be your host for today. So thank you for joining us, everyone. We've already got over 40 people live in the Discord chat. That's great. We encourage you guys to jump in, join the show, share your thoughts, share your comments, share your questions and reactions to the news of the week. Uh, and also shout out to everyone tuning in on other platforms. The show stream live to YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. And if you're on there, I would like to take a quick moment to invite you to join us here in the EOS Community Discord server. And you can do that at discord.gg front slash EOS-network. <laughs> uh, love the enthusiasm, Tony, here in the chat. So today, of course, we'll be talking about EOS, but also the Antelope ecosystem. Antelope is the name of the community-owned blockchain software that powers a variety of highly performant blockchain networks, such as EOS, Telos, Wax, UX, and many others. All right, we're going to get into the big topic of the day in just a moment. But before, a quick reminder to state your name when you jump on the mic. Of course, also share some pics and memes in the text chat here uh, on Discord. Love to see those visual elements for the people watching on YouTube and Twitter and all that. Um, and of course, there's always the pop token giveaway, which you can claim on Discord in the pop bot chat while the fireside is 
going on. All right, so without further ado, um, EOS Network Ventures, let's talk about it. I've got questions. I'm sure you've got, you guys have questions and hopefully Eve and Zach have uh, some answers for us. Um, Eve, before we get started, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good yourself. Awesome intro. I mean, I, two weeks ago or so is when I first heard the first intro. It was great. Today's even better. Yeah, I try to, I try to keep it spicy, add some custom elements there every week. Uh, easy to get hyped uh, on a date like today when we're talking about a big topic like EOS Network Ventures. It's been something that's been discussed on this uh, on previous fireside chats often, mentioned often. But this week we had some big milestones um, on that topic. So uh, before we get into uh, probably the details that most of you here want to learn, I'd like to just ask a few general questions to situate the situation, maybe for others that are outside the, the community, um, you know, hearing about EOS Network Ventures for the first time. So Eve, first of all, what is the EOS Network Foundation? Uh, the EOS Network Foundation is the non-for-profit uh, arm of the EOS Network. It's essentially the steward of the EOS Network that was appointed uh, last year. Uh, it is a foundation that is unlike other foundations, whereby it's accountable to the token holders and the network validators uh, in order to remain in operation. Its mission and mandate is to enable businesses, developers, and individuals to build on the EOS Network. One of its largest portfolio items would be what you mentioned earlier, which is Antelope. So it's the uh, maintenance, development, and growth of the software stack that powers the EOS mainnet. Um, and uh, yeah, it's essentially it's essentially the the organization that is empowered to ensure that uh, at the very fundamental levels, the roads, uh, the libraries, the schools, etc., are um, maintained on the EOS network, so to speak. All right, great. And then next question is, what is EOS Network Ventures? So in relation to what we just talked about with the ENF, um, the ENF is a non-for-profit arm. And if the ENF was the response of the network um, after multiple years to what was seen as a gap on the non-for-profit side, uh, essentially, let's say, coming in and taking the responsibilities and the place that we originally thought, I at least anyways thought, um, that the previous uh, project uh, uh, sponsor, Block One, would be fulfilling the ecosystem. ENV is the response to the for-profit side, um, whereby, let's say, it replaces what a lot of us thought EOS VC would fulfill as a role within the ecosystem. All right, and then what is the relation between the EOS Network Foundation and EOS Network Ventures? Both of them are going to be, I say both of them are, but realistically the ENV doesn't exist yet. Uh, but once it exists, the idea is that both of them 
would be very complementary to one another. So I'll bite their completely separate organizations. There's no legal link or financial link uh, between the two. And I say this again, this ENV doesn't exist, but projected. Um, the idea is that they both fulfill very complementary roles. So right now, the ENF as a non-for-profit has three, let's say, funding buckets that grow in size and they give an opportunity for uh, community members and or developers, businesses to receive funding from the network. And those are uh, Eden, Pomelo, and then the grant framework. That particular, those those three pillars or those three funding vehicles, mechanisms are limited in what they can do as per our mission mandate as a non-for-profit. And so we see that it also caps out the level of funding that um, that is possible. So uh, for for uh, into entities because of that non-capacity to be able to get equity in return. So we've seen that in general, uh, people within Eden receive, I don't know, a few thousand dollars maybe a month. It gives them a platform. It gives them a voice. Uh, it gives them funding alongside that platform, that voice. That amount varies, but let's say at some point, it's even maybe up to $10,000, give or take per month, uh, depending on the, what the, 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 the value of the token, so to speak. But it's quite limited. But it gives a platform and gives a voice. And it's one of what I call the indirected or undirected uh, funding mechanisms. So the ENF makes funds available in a pool and then Eden through its governance process determines who gets access to that funding in what amount, et cetera, and what they work on, et cetera. The second funding mechanism is Pomelo, also indirected in the sense that there are requirements. It is, you know, it needs to meet the, the definition of a public good and such, but the network makes available funds and then the process of Pomelo through quadratic funding, et cetera, ultimately determine where those funds lie, who, who ends up with those funds. The third funding mechanism is that, and we see that those levels for Pomelo, again, depending on the matching, depending on how much is raised in contributions, varies between maybe $5,000, give or take, to $60,000, $70,000, um, give or take, every quarter. Um, and so again, somewhat limited in funding, not necessarily guaranteed or certain, but it is another funding mechanism that is indirected. And so it, both of these relies on the wisdom of the crowds through their own governance mechanisms. The third funding bucket, which is the grant framework, that varies between, again, maybe 10,000, five to 10,000 to upwards of, let's say, 200, 250,000 um, at the very, very extreme edges um, can be applied at any given time no equity in return uh, needs to be open source. And so still some parameters around that, but it's still limited in the amount of funding that it can provide to, uh, uh, to an entity or to um, a particular, let's say, application or a team or something like that. Now, the ENF has been doing uh, direct grants now for quite some time because we didn't have a vehicle outside of this. So outside of the three that I just mentioned, ENF has done a few uh, actually multiple direct investments, but again, for no equity in return. Those would be, for example, the blue papers. It would be the latest one would be Haifa Dow. Um, and so all of those are elaborated in the reports, uh, the quarterly reports that we publish. But these really fit outside of the norm. And realistically, a lot of those, maybe outside of the blue papers anyways, a lot of those investments should have been made for equity in return. Because for no equity in return, the network is... Uh, giving up grants and essentially determining what constitutes value from a non-equity perspective. And so a lot of it is open source. Uh, a lot of it is tooling um, and or, you know, public good type of investments. But there was no vehicle outside of this to be able to, deter to, to, be able to inject capital into the ecosystem 
um, for equity and return. So, so that the purpose is actually to make a profit. So that was somewhat lacking. The other thing there was there's no vehicle outside of this to be able to attract investment. So to be able to get external capital into the ecosystem in a, in a way through, through a vehicle that would guarantee that the funds would go into EOS-based projects. So we saw that with EOS VC that would align the incentives within the, with the EOS token holders and within the EOS network. Um, and that was able to do so effectively. We have not seen any of this. And so both of them are very complementary to one another because ENV is essentially the response to the gaps that uh, ENF cannot um, fill. And the, the, essentially the, what we see right now in decisions the beginning of is the, the network anyways has reached consensus on giving the go-ahead to figure out uh, how this will work. So a lot of it is still undetermined. A lot of it is to be confirmed, to be determined, no answer. Uh, but your original question of how are they related to one another, they're completely distinct, but they do provide, uh, I guess, two sides of, of the same coin in a way, and they are very complementary to one another. All right, great. Thank you for that uh, context. Um, so, of course... It's been great to see, seeing the community so active in the chats last week, you know, felt like the good old days when you wake up and there's 350 messages that you missed on, on Telegram. Uh, I didn't I, miss messages. <laughs> I read every you single one of those you never messages. Sleep? You read all messages at the exact moment that they're written? Nice. No, I do sleep sometimes, but I read all messages for sure. Yeah, so it's been nice to, to see all these messages. Um, you know, a lot of questions came up. A lot of people were in support. A lot of people questions various aspects of this. Uh, and I'm sure we'll hear from a wide variety of people today. And I encourage you guys, you know, to uh, step in here and ask some questions. Um, first of all, I I'm going to ask a few more questions before we open it up. Uh, starting with a question that has that I saw, you know, repeated a few times, you know, who is leading the EOS network ventures? Might be a tricky question, but I think it's good. Well, that's a loaded anyway. question because it premises upon the fact that the ENV exists and the ENV does not currently exist. Uh, and so there is no legal entity that is the ENV. There is no, uh, there, there's nobody in the ENV because the thing doesn't exist yet. What we have right now is a concept. It's an idea. And it's now the backing of the network to continue working towards creating this thing and actually operationalizing this thing. So as I mentioned before, with you know, the role of the ENF, the network determines through the, the current consensus mechanism and through the current block, which are represented by the block producers, the network determines where the ultimate, let's say, North Star is or for, for the network, where the network should be heading. Whether you agree with it or not, this, this is the current mechanism. And the network months ago um, basically gave the, the ENF a, a challenge to try to fill this gap that I just explained beforehand. So the first time that we talked about ENV at the time was called ENF Ventures. We deployed the concept of ENF Ventures in the roadmap uh, Q4 2021, which released on January 25th of this year. So roughly 10, 10 11 months ago or so. And that idea morphed over time. Uh, and, and this concept of what ENF Ventures, which ultimately became the ENV, um, is now is, let's say, if, if prior to putting out that roadmap 
uh, and and putting sorry the the ENF ventures on that roadmap. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a spark. It was an idea. Let's say that that is draft one. What you saw um, in terms of the MSIG uh, proposal is let's say draft thirty four at a place. And I'm just making up this number, so don't take the number itself. Just to give an idea, what the idea has been discussed back and forth over that period of time, multiple times in this fireside chat. The funding me- mechanisms have been discussed um, in particular, for example, in Yield Plus Blue Paper. Uh, but the general overall packaged information couldn't come to be until the MSIG was created. That is the way that the EOS network essentially comes to consensus and gives a formal yay or nay. Um, that is the mechanism by which the network says, please continue or not. That is what occurred last week with that MSIG. But this idea of the ENV and formerly known ENF Ventures has been in the works back and forth, accumulating feedback, figuring out how this come to be and such um, over the last, I guess, 11 months or so, um, up until a point where there was enough information that met the thresholds for this to be presented as an MSIG for the network to essentially say, please continue down this path. And the network is putting, uh, has issued tokens. And so we can get into that uh, later on as well as like why that specific amount and such. But the network essentially it's kind of that chicken or the egg situation. And we were in this situation multiple times in the past. So I'll kind of give it a little bit of context there as well. When I was a BP in the first early years, a lot of the BPs and a lot of community members would spend a lot of time drafting up proposals. And they would do someone silo and they wouldn't reach out to the block producers. And ultimately, when they'd reach out to the block producers, because at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, that is the consensus mechanism that needs to allow for either protocol level changes and or governance changes such as this. Uh, which this, I guess, is kind of both. But anyways, um, they wouldn't reach out until they had spent a lot of time drafting a proposal. You know, six months in, you've deployed a lot of capital, a lot of resource into presenting something. And ultimately, that's really only when the feedback can begin because they weren't even in the loop beforehand. So that how they can give, how can they give feedback? So that's that's a little bit of uh, of background there. But the other thing um, uh, about, uh, let's say, uh, how this uh, comes about or or that the, the, the MSIG itself, the, the MSIG is the formal mechanism for the network in this particular instance to say, please keep going ahead. Where you are at in your drafting process is good enough for us to make a step. And what I was saying in terms of comparison to the ENF and how the ENF came about, it was very similar. When the ENF was launched or when the ENF, when that first MSIG occurred where 3.5, give or take, EOS was transferred over from legacy name and RAM fees into an account and made available to the ENF, the ENF as an entity didn't exist. The next day, nothing happened. Basically, the next day was the validation from the network to say, please proceed down this path. Now figure out how to make this happen. Like Now you've got our commitment. Now you've got us making a formal, um, very public and transparent um, uh, I guess, support of this idea with alongside with tokens. Now you, you can keep going and you can go ahead and actually figure out how to make this work. And this is really, in terms of comparison to the ENF, this is also what's very similar is that the beginning of, I guess it's not like it's the beginning of the work, but draft 35 can start yesterday type of thing. So there's still a lot of uncertain um, answers, uh, but now the network has reached its threshold in order to let this idea continue maturing. 
And realistically, it will take months before this thing actually, if, if the goal is, or if, if what people are asking for is when will funds be deployed? Ultimately, when will investments be made and such? It's going to take months. It's going to take a few months before the structure is completely laid out, before funds can actually start uh, being deployed, before term sheets are written, et cetera, et cetera. It will take time. But none of that could have happened before the network actually reaches consensus. And that's kind of the chicken or the egg that's similar to when the ENF was launched. So you mentioned uh, an MSIG that was passed last week. So I'd like you to address exactly what that MSIG was uh, in case people are not aware. And also what the difference is between the $100 million ENV fund that was announced and also the Korean $100 million fund and MOU that was signed a few weeks ago uh, in Korea. So... uh, yeah, if you could. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, multiple questions in one. Um, so the, the, the MSIG that was proposed last week and ultimately that passed was a threefold. One is the creation of a, a system account. Uh, so the system accounts on EOS are, uh, have the prefix, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think prefix comes before. So prefix EOSIO dot. So only EOSIO prods can create a EOSIO uh, what we call, I guess, system accounts. And so the first action was to create the EOSIO.fund account. So it is an official system account. Um, the then second part of that MSIG uh, was to then issue uh, and or create, if you, if you, uh, if you so wish, issue um, 68,277,000 tokens and change um, in EOSIO. And then the EOSIO account, which is different. And then the third part of that was to transfer those tokens into the EOSIO.fund account. Now that, so I'll go into a little bit more detail because there's way more questions surrounding that that you'll potentially ask. But that 68 million uh, tokens and change is the exact number that was retired uh, in two separate instances two years ago. So I believe it was May 20, May 2019 and February 2020. Somebody can fact check me on that, but it's give or take um, those dates. I think it was like May 10th, February 25th, something like that. Um, at the time, and uh, for history, for those who don't know, when the EOS network launched, it launched under the parameters of the white paper. And those parameters were 5% inflation. Of that 5% inflation, 1% was to be dedicated to the block producers, to the network validators, and 4% was to go to a WPS system, a worker proposal system. The network launched without a worker proposal system, but the parameters, that inflation, that 4%, was being accumulated in the EOSIO.saving account. Over a period of roughly two years, a little bit over two years, um, those tokens were accumulating until at some point, uh, at that time, uh, EOS Nation was actually uh, uh, leading the charge on this, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm the one who proposed the MSIG, to uh, retire. So what we call and what you've heard is burn. Well, burn is not a function on chain. It is not the actual technical function. It is retire. And so at that time, tokens were transferred from the EOSIO saving account back to EOSIO, and then the retire function was was done on those accounts. Mine might excuse the way I'm saying, but essentially those tokens were retired, um, taking them out of circulation, essentially deleting them, burning them, so to speak. And that second, uh, but the inflation continued. So 5% still existed. So that EOSIO.saving account continued accumulating tokens at that time. That second 
uh, time. There was another 34 million tokens or so in change that was retired. And at the same time, the network also reached consensus on reducing the inflation from 5% down to 1%. And so then tokens stopped accumulating in the EOSIO.saving uh, account. Those two retirances, retirances, burns, so to speak, but the function of retire, those accumulate to the exactly 68,277,000 tokens and change and such. Um, and so uh, that essentially, uh, at that time, that fund was being allocated for potentially worker proposal system. But the reason for the burns, um, in part, the large reasons or the, the retirances, in large part was because there was no mechanism to be able to leverage those tokens. So there was no actual entity that could do something with that. The network attempted on multiple instances to try and create something, but at every attempt, um, either it didn't work and or an external body decided to shut that down. Uh, so that would have been the, the, last, uh, the last time that the network tried, which would have been after the ECC number two, so the US Community Conference in Rio and October, September, October 2019, that's when Block Block One decided that they uh, basically gave the network an ultimatum. Either you uh, you continue down this path and all of the money that we are going to invest and we're, now we're no longer going to invest and or you stop this and then we'll work with you. And that's where basically Pomelo came out of is it was this idea that, that Block One would be, you know, now helping out the ecosystem. Anyways, bad call. Block One never ended up uh, doing very much, but that's another story. The, the funds couldn't be used because there was no entity or no program or no initiative or no mechanism to be able to leverage them. And there was no, there was no use case for them at the time. We also didn't have anything to be able to uh, necessarily leverage those tokens on. So that's kind of the idea behind what was proposed in the MSIG and why that specific number. Um, let me address then, I guess there's two more questions in this one. One is the, is there anything related between the 100 million uh, let's say ENV fund that was announced, and there's two questions in there, and then the uh, Pusan MOU of 100 million. I'll start with the Pusan MOU because we talked about this two weeks or so ago. But reading the chats, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So uh, let me try to um, uh, give a little bit more clarity in there. So the Pusan MOU is an MOU. An MOU just stands for Memorandum of Understanding. So there's no formal commitment. It's an intent. It's a, it's a Memorandum of Understanding. It's a mechanism by which government can enter into an agreement with industry without actually having a contract in place. It's intent. It is not legally binding. It is a, it's the idea that we will try to move towards, and this is what we're trying to move towards on. So it's a general idea of we're going to try to work together towards a particular goal. In that particular MOU, so there's an alliance that was created. It's the VCABB, the uh, Venture Capital Alliance of Bhutan Blockchain. There are three, no, four other uh, venture capital firms and or bodies, and there's one media outlet. So the media outlet is CoinNest, and the other, uh, the other VCs are uh, Foresight Ventures and uh, OKX Ventures, both of which are... Uh, uh, Chinese. And then there's Alpha Announce, which is Korean. And if I'm not um, mistaken, I think it's Ragnar or yeah, I think it's Ragnar Ventures. I'm not sure the second part, which is also Korean. So there's two Koreans and two uh, Chinese in there. And then there's the media partner. And then there's EOS. EOS is really the kind of the standalone, um, a different one in there, whereby it's a layer one project. It has its own token. It's an actual chain, so it's a blockchain. So it's very different than the others, which is why it was so significant and why there's so much of an opportunity there. 
Now, all of these uh, players combined um, have, through this MOU, uh, said that they would invest $100 million over the next three years into the city of Pusan. And and not in the city of Pusan, because I see people bring this up as well. It's not investing money in the government. It's not investing money in the public office. It is this idea that now it is, again, same thing that I mentioned before, where now the work can start beginning. The city now needs to attract uh, uh, developers, attract businesses, attract people to come and set up shop in Pusan for there to be investments to be invested in. So the VCABB cannot make investments if there's nothing to invest in. The way that this is being set up is that now the city has kind of an understanding and an intent from people with capital that they are on the lookout and they will be looking at Pusan for potential uh, investment opportunities. Now the city can go to uh, and and do its part of the the role or its part of the the MOU, which is to attract talent to that particular jurisdiction. The way by which they're going to do that is potentially tax incentives, um, office space, subsidies for workers. However it goes about this, it's going to use the tools that it has at its disposal to be able to attract talent for them then the the alliance to be able to look at potential investments. That $100 million is uh, aspirational. So the idea is if there are no investments to be made, that $100 million will never be deployed. It's also non-prescribed. So of those five players that have access to capital, it's not like each of them committed to $20 million each if if you just divide it uh, equally into five. There's none of that. It is an idea that, and and these are current the current players here. Now the VCABB is also a body that is non-legislative body, so it's not really an, an an entity. Are going to be the ones that allow and or let in other potential venture firms and or other capital to join this alliance. And so the number, so that hundred million. Uh, theoretical investments into entities should there be entities to be able to invest in um, will be shared alongside of more partners as more partners come in because this is a timeline of three years again pending that there are things to invest in so those two numbers uh, are completely separate and there's no commitment from the EOS network to invest a hundred million dollars in Pusan let alone into the city of Pusan or anything like that that is not the case um, so we did talk about this uh, two weeks ago, but anyways, to, to reconfirm, because there seemed to be a lot of um, uh, misunderstanding there. Now, the other misunderstanding as well that I've read, and or and this is less so of a misunderstanding, the announcement, the, the press release that the ENF put out on its blog mentions that the network is reaching consensus at the time, because it wasn't done yet, on creating a $100 million fund. Now, obviously, everybody can calculate 68 million tokens and change at current valuation does not give $100 million. Correct. Two things to that. One is that the market is extremely volatile. For a press release to come out and say the EOS network is, is uh, you know, reaching consensus on deploying a $61 million, $234.34 ecosystem fund is not really attractive from our marketing point of view. Plus, by the time it gets released, it's inaccurate again because the token price changes all the time. So really, we didn't really have much leeway there. The other thing is what Zach has mentioned on multiple occasions is that we've mentioned multiple times that the idea of this and the general goal behind this is for EOS not to be the sole LP. 
EOS becomes, or it, even right now, there's no such thing, so there's no LP. But even if we were to launch today, let's say EOS is the sole LP, the idea is for EOS, if it's 100% of the funds in this ecosystem fund right now, that that goes down over time. And we're trying to get it down so that the fund ultimately is somewhere around the lines of $400 million. That's aspirational. It will take a long time. But that less aspirational uh, number, which is still very much aspirational and still going to be a challenge, is to get the fund to be actually around $100 million. Now, this is going to come about by having external LPs, so by having other VCs join this fund through the ENV as an LP, this thing, again, that I mentioned that doesn't exist yet. So even if we wanted to, term sheets can't be written because those the entities don't exist right now. The ENV itself doesn't exist. Um, but that is the idea. The idea is to grow it so that it is at a respectable, roughly $100 million level in the shortest amount of time possible after um, this has been incorporated and this is set out. A lot of, uh, and we mentioned this on the fireside on multiple occasions in the past, the ENF has been... Uh, talking to external VCs now for quite some time, and we've gotten a lot of soft commitments. None of those can become hard commitments until there's actually term sheets. Term sheets can't be written until we actually have an entity. See where I'm going with this? So a lot of uh, soft commitments have been done. We do have other partners. A lot of those other partners are known uh, because they're part of, for example, the VCABB. So we've been talking to them. There are others that we've been talking to that were present, for example, uh, in London. So we hosted a networking dinner with some uh, with some partners uh, there that we've been trying to get, uh, you know, for them to take take particular attention to the EOS ecosystem and, and see the the uh, potential that lies in that ecosystem in our ecosystem. Um, and the third part, I guess, so the last question was kind of the the, the big one here to answer um, is the MSIG itself. Why was it proposed in the way that it was proposed? Because it's clear that it was proposed in a different way than it historically has in the sense of being able to have public debate on what the MSIG would be prior to the MSIG dropping. Follow along with me. I know that was a, a really long one. Um, in Historically, if you look at the MSIG over the last couple of years, prior, for something big like this, so I'm not talking about when we change inline action from six to eight or some of that, and it's a technical thing, there's no public debate about this, and it's basically a technical MSIG in order to increase performance of the network or what may be. If we talk about MSIGs that significantly impact the ecosystem, such as this one, this is a pretty massive, if not the most, one of the most, maybe second place, if not first place, big MSIGs that have impact um, uh, the network. If you look at all of those in the past, there's always been public debate prior to that coming about and or that MSIG being dropped and then public debate occurring essentially before signatures are starting to get gathered, etc. So obviously this um, goes against the mechanisms and the ways by which MSIGs have been proposed in the past. There must be a reason, otherwise it's just out of place. And there were reasons. And this is what we couldn't share beforehand, but we can clearly share now. Um, and so the idea was that we've seen over the last year, uh, through our communications and our marketing, a significant difference in how the externals perceive us and the externals being media and, and basically our media partners in how we're able to leverage them. And we saw that very, very clearly uh, with the MOU from Pusan, talking about the MOU from Pusan, where this news was under embargo. We knew when it was going to happen. We were able to give the news to external media under embargo. 
And the way that that works, it's very different than a press release. So when you look at press releases, which is what occurred the other day, uh, whereby, for example, we published on our blog and or you saw it in Yahoo, you saw it in a couple of places. At the bottom of a press release, you see, for example, VP of Communications, Zagal, if you have any questions. That is because we write that and we pay in order to publish on that. So there's a use case for that. But the reach of that is quite limited. What you haven't seen very much of and what our uh, competition and and the competitors in the blockchain space are very good at, what you haven't seen historically in EOS very many times, but what we've been able to start doing in the last couple of months is putting things under embargo, whereby through our media partners, we share a story, we share an idea. We don't share an article, we don't write it for them. We give them a, hey, by the way, EOS is trying to create and or will create a $100 million ecosystem fund. Now, we pitch that to media parties. If we pitch it as EOS is talking about creating an ecosystem fund of $100 million, nobody cares. It doesn't get picked up uh, because the idea is these tier one media, they want to be the first ones to break the story. There's tremendous power in them breaking the story. And we haven't been able to do so in the past. Uh, on EOS, one, because we didn't have a body to be able to coordinate this. This is what the ENF can do. Uh, and we also didn't have the capital to be able to do this. So I'll bite the uh, pitching the story itself or them picking up the story and them writing the article, articles is completely organic. And we saw that with Pusan where there's, uh, I think, the number upwards of 150, 160 uh, different articles written, which are not written by us, which are completely organic and picked up. The media partner that we leverage that has those contacts, that does have a cost. And so our, our, our media partner that we've been leveraging now for the last, uh, last year or so um, has been a market across. Uh, and so they're quite known in the space. They're the ones, if you recall, when I did the fireside chat in Singapore, the first fireside chat, so not the panel, but the fireside chat that I did that was uh, with Eli. And so he's um, part of market across. We've seen the power of being able to put things under embargo, and we saw it very, very concretely with the news of Pusan. And so um, we were left with, uh, I guess, a, a dilemma uh, when we reached what we thought at that point, what the block producers thought was a good enough proposal to be able to put in an MSIG. So again, going back to this idea of, let's say what you saw and what the MCG is, is draft 34. Well, leading up to that, there's a lot of people that had a lot of different opinions on what should go in there. Some people thought that the 67 million tokens and change that stopped vesting to block one should be utilized for this idea of ENV. Some people thought that inflation should be increased back to 5% so that 2% goes into this fund uh, this pool in order to be able to fund ENV. Some people thought it should be uh, the 68 million uh, tokens and change, which was the retirements and then just bringing those tokens, issuing those tokens. So it's not bringing them back to life. They're not the same tokens. They're You deleted a row, you're not, when you recreate a row, it's not the same row that you were creating, but this idea of matching that amount. And ultimately, when we got to that draft 34 and we had a pretty good idea that this is what was going to reach consensus based on that feedback, based on the discussions that we had here in the fireside over the last year, we then had the decision on our plate, or I guess the, 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 we were left in a situation where we had two choices to make. And this is the first time, in my opinion anyways, that the network has had to make that decision in, in the way that it did, or this is the first time that we've had that opportunity. 
I'm, I'm very visual. I'm talking with my hands, so please bear with me. We had two choices that were being presented to us by the block producers and or through, through basically the, the, these feedback consultation sessions. Do we go left and do the same thing we've done before, which is then announce the MSIG, don't actually deploy it, start having public consultations about this, knowing that um, there's a lot of questions that can't be answered because we don't even know yet whether or not we have consensus, knowing that likely when we do this and we say, this is what we will present as an MSIG, that then somebody within the EOS ecosystem actually writes about it, which then removes the possibility of being able to leverage that external media part, that, that external media partnership, being able to seize that opportunity that we were seeing. Do we go that route and then play it safe and know that this is the standard route that we've done before and it works? And ultimately, if the block producers don't agree, that's fine. If ultimately we don't reach consensus, that's fine. But at least we give and we increase the likelihood that the people, all of the token holders, as much as possible, because you're not going to reach everybody, not everybody's in this fireside, not everybody follows along, etc. But that the likelihood is that you reach enough people that there's less people um, that uh, feel like they weren't a part of that process and it wasn't sprung up on them. You got that route, which is very safe. We've done before, and it is part of our MO. This is what we've been doing. Or, and this is what we've never had this choice before, do you potentially go the other route, keep this under embargo, start talking to media partners, see if whether or not this is even an interesting story for them to be able to uh, pick up on and try to break news at and try to recreate what we saw with um, the Pusan announcement, whereby 150, 160 different media partners organically pick up on this and essentially everybody in the ecosystem and larger ecosystem hears about this particular thing. And when we look at both, we then had to go take a step back and think, who are we trying to reach here? Inevitably, of course, the EOS community and the current token holders are important in the process. Obviously, there's no doubt about it. But what are we trying to do with ENV? We're trying to attract external capital. In the last, let's say, four to six months or so, the ENF has been very successful in reaching out one by one to potential VCs but we're quite limited in the scalability of that. There's only so many calls that you can do and you need to do one by one. We're quite limited in the amount of people that even know that this is happening. So that was one thing. So, all right, if we go the route of doing the embargo, likelihood that VCs outside of this see this, uh, people outside of the EOS ecosystem see this increases dramatically. We saw that with the Pusan MOU and we saw the power that that, that, that that has and how many people afterwards started reaching out. And that's something that we cannot recreate internally by doing a press release or by writing a blog or by having these firesides. The other thing that we had on the table that kind of fits into this decision is we are currently at a stage where in the greater ecosystem right now, that 68 million tokens and change is worth a lot. EOS currently doesn't have liabilities. And I'm talking about specifically kind of the events of FTX and such, and just where the overall bear market is. Right now, and when you look at the even outside of crypto, Meta is doing layoffs, Netflix is doing layoffs, Apple is doing layoffs. Right now, having capital in this particular market is extremely valuable. Your dollar is worth more than dollar than it did, let's say, a year ago type of thing. So the potential 
of saying, hey, we've got an, an actual large fund. We're willing to make investments and we're setting it up to be able to make significant investments at a time where everybody is cutting, at a time where everybody is facing the issues with inflation, everybody's having a hard time making men's meat, people are losing job, is even more valuable. Compound that with the news of FTX and such last week, where in this particular ecosystem, the blockchain ecosystem, companies are failing. A lot of the capital that was raised by uh, FTX had to be held in FTT. All those companies are down. They have no more funding. There's a tremendous amount of people out there that is looking for capital. And EOS was about to showcase that it has capital. It doesn't have liabilities. It's back in business. It's poised to actually make investments. It gives us even more leverage in negotiations should we, be, should, should we make investments in um, in, in applications and businesses to define even better terms for the network, right? Because right now the greater, the greater blockchain ecosystem and even the greater financial ecosystem is hurting. And so us having capital at this particular time and reaching consensus on something is worth even more. Then we go back, do we go left or do we go right? We know that if we go right and we try to capture this opportunity, we inevitably will face backlash. We knew this. This was deliberate. It's not like we didn't know. It's not like we didn't know that some of you would be upset about the process in which this MSIG was brought about, even though you may agree with the actual content itself. We see this. We knew this. This was part of the decision, part of the thought making, of the, of the, the thought process going into this. Do we go that route of playing it safe when our mission and our mandate was very clear? We need to be able to close the gap with our competitors, and we need to bring EOS back at the table. And there's this opportunity that is being presented with this major milestone, this major announcement that we could potentially capitalize on on behalf of the network, knowing that it's going to ruffle some feathers, knowing that there are some people and a lot of people that will be upset about the way in which we do this. And we weighed the pros and cons of each. And we weighed the pros and cons of, you know, how do we go one way or do we go the other? And ultimately, um, the, the ENF sided, and I take responsibility for that. I made the decision as these two options were being presented. I made the decision and I take responsibility. I chose to go right instead of left, knowing that it would be very, very difficult and that likely a lot of people would be upset. But knowing that the opportunity that laid ahead, in my opinion, outweighed the cost and the potential risk. I stand by that. It didn't work out. I failed. We failed. Ultimately, the, e, the, the MSIG was not passed quickly enough in order to be able to actually keep things under embargo for external media to be able to jump on this and to be able to break the news and essentially for this particular news to just go widespread. Keep in mind, we are in London. We have a networking dinner. Part of the idea was also to release to those VCs at that time, by the way, EOS reached consensus on a fund. We're now poised to be able to receive your investments. We can now start working on the next phase, which is then the incorporation and all of that. And now it becomes more real. I was in London as well for media. And so we had interviews lined up where we'd be able to break this with people that wanted to get in line to be able to hear this news right away. I had a panel on that Thursday. And so we would have been able to announce that while the whole world is watching after all of this media leverage, et cetera, 
at a time where everybody's hurting and everybody was talking about FTX and EOS comes about and says, oh yeah, well, we just, we just reached consensus on a large fund. We basically missed out on that opportunity. That is no longer, that is no longer going to happen. It's done. It's, it's, it's over. This is no longer news. It's no longer breaking news. So we failed. I failed. And I take responsibility for that. When ENF was incorporated, when ENF came about, one of the things I said very early on is we will make mistakes and we will stand by those mistakes and we will, we will, we will be transparent. We will talk about it and we will ultimately be accountable to the network in the way that the network has accountability, which is through the BPs, which you may or may not like the system that we have, but that is the system that we have. That is, those are the guidelines that we need to operate in. When we look at our other competitors right now, they don't necessarily have that dilemma. So one of the things is that the other layer ones, what they're very effective at, because they launched with the treasury, they had partnerships from the onset. They have media, they have marketing. What they're trying to do is to close the gap on the technical side of things. Their blockchains are not as performant and or not as reliable. They're using the capital and the time that they have to try and close that gap on a technical point of view. EOS's challenge is kind of the opposite of that. We have the tech, we've got the reliability and the performance. Of course, it can be better, but we already have a workable, very fast performant product. What we don't have, what we've never had, it's the media, it's the branding, it's all of that. How do we consolidate both by being able to be accountable and transparent to the token holders while also trying to impact the larger market, also trying to reach out to those external um, uh, the, the external funds, the external VCs, external partnerships and such. It is, I wish that there was a magic guidebook. I wish that there's a way that somebody could tell me exactly how to do this, but we don't have that. And so we try to do what we, what we, what we um, can within the parameters that we have. And in this instance, basically we made a call. I take responsibility for that. And ultimately it didn't work out as planned. At the same time, the network has reached clear consensus, whether you like with it or not, whether you don't agree with the consensus mechanism on EOS, the network did reach consensus on allowing this function to now essentially be operationalized. And a lot of the answers that you'd like to know on who's going to be leading this, what does this entail, what are the term sheets, none of those exist yet. This is the work that can now begin um, and so, uh, this is where we're at. And I think that answers kind of the, the fourth question that you had. Uh, yeah, definitely answers m more than the questions I thought I asked, although I'm sure all of this stuff would have been asked anyways. Uh, the last question I had noted down was why the 68 million EOS number, but you answered that as well. Um, so we've had some good discussions in the chat while Eve was, uh, uh, doing this uh, great monologue, I guess. Um, so just going to go over a few of these. Well, actually, uh, Chris Barnes asks, asks, while you're talking about, you know, the kind of lost opportunity with the media, you know, Chris Barnes asks, once the story out, media opportunity lost, the MSIG still wasn't signed. Why not then pull it back and do the old route of getting community feedback? Uh, sure. Uh, that was discussed and ultimately that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, uh, chosen and the MSIG did pass and the people that ultimately make these decisions, the entities that make those decisions, 
the threshold by which they make those decisions was met. Um, and that is what we saw. Uh, and so there was one part that some BPs were withholding on, which was the permission set. Uh, and they signed those, the, that, that MSIG essentially without that as a condition. We did take that feedback though. Uh, so because I was reading all of these chats uh, and I was, I was listening to everything. Um, that was brought up as a, um, so prior to even the MSYNC going live, uh, that was brought up by two BPs out of the top 21 that they would have liked to see uh, different permission sets, but that was not the consensus. That was not the majority. Like I said before, some BPs wanted to take the 67 million tokens that were supposed to go to block one. Um, so not everybody got essentially 100% of what they wanted, but what was presented was what was likelier to pass based on uh, the feedback and the consultations and the kind of where that overlap lied. The permission sets was uh, one of them that wasn't seen at all by being demanded by uh, the majority of block producers. We did see, though, that during, after the MSIG, uh, after the MSIG was, was uh, by the way, the MSIG was public from the beginning, right? So you guys do know that my account, so even all of this was quite tricky because we know that uh, some accounts are being monitored, mine in particular. If you go to eosauthority.com forward slash approvals, my account is being monitored. And every time I do an MSIG, it automatically pops up there. So it's not like this MSIG was also not public. Everything is public and transparent. All of this was a gamble on, in a way, nobody would see this so that we could actually try to get this under embargo. It took about 48 to 72 hours before anybody even brought it up publicly, enough for it to generate a, a conversation. Uh, but going back to that, that permission set, um, after the MSIG passed, uh, we were looking at feedback. I went and talked to the block producers again. Uh, actually, I went to talk to, to those in the current um, eosio.fung permission set, and I told them that uh, for me, it was very important to change that permission set based on the feedback that we were getting in the community, that even some people uh, that were in support of the ENV, um, some people that weren't even in support of the whole thing thought that that was still a, um, a lack or that it was still a, uh, you know, a, a potential concern. And uh, we had talked about this before because it was brought up before. Uh, part of the idea behind that was that uh, with that seven-day delay, we believe that it, it brought about you know, enough uh, accountability and, and security within that account. But uh, you know, adding more didn't really remove that agility and nimbleness enough uh, for it not to be done. And so it was reproposed and it passed right away uh, in terms of the threshold from the MSIG. Now it needs to wait seven days. So I believe it's, uh, I don't recall the exact date, but uh, maybe 22nd or 23rd of November is when the change will actually take into effect because of that seven day delay. And it will ultimately become a four out of seven. Um, some people have also seen, isn't four out of seven a smaller percentage than two out of three? Yes, but that's not. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is there more people need to actually sign it. So regardless of the percentage and the ratio, you now need more eyes on this, more people to actually make the signature. And so it's four instead of two. Um, we did put um, additional BPs on there that uh, either are very active and or have um, experience as LPs. So there's two parts here. So the current ELSIO.fund, uh, which is uh, currently three signatures, has people on there that have 
extensive experience as LP. So it's not because they're BPs or it's not because they're related to BPs. It was more so for the function. Uh, the four signatures that we did add, which are Hashfin, Big One, Generios, and Attic Lab, those are VPs uh, that are either community VPs, and so they talk to people quite a lot, um, and they were part of this process, and they shared their feedback and opinions uh, very much so throughout this process before and after the NSIG. Uh, deployment and or they have substantive experience on boards uh, in LPs and or can open doors specifically outside of the EOS ecosystem um, uh, on behalf of the ecosystem. And so they're kind of a mixture of both. Um, and that's why that change was brought about um, afterwards. All right, lots, lots more good questions and comments coming in in the chat. Uh, but at this time, I'd like to prioritize people who are willing to come on the mic, come on the air, and, and ask your questions, uh, you know, live on air. Uh, get a few different voices in here than just me and Eve today. So I'll give it a few moments. I got a question. Step up. Hey, Chris. Welcome. To the uh, Thank you. So just on these 68 million EOS, can you commit Eve that these 68 million EOS will never participate in voting for block producers or staking to a proxy that votes for block producers or even ending up on an exchange or some other derivative that participates in governance? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, EOSIO DOT is a system level contract. And in general, system level contracts have not participated in governance. Those tokens have not been used. I am not a block producer. The owner of that account is eosio.prods, so it still remains under ownership of the network. The active accounts are uh, the individuals, the three individuals. I can say that I'm not in favor at all, and so you, you have my commitment that I don't want those tokens to be used. But ultimately, it is not a decision that I make, uh, and so that's something that you would have to ask the VPs. Having said that, it is a system account system accounts typically are very different than other accounts and they do they are not used uh, in such manner yeah i guess maybe i'll just ask it in another way that's potentially more contentious um so we know tony who was one of the two-thirds required to move these 68 million eos is very much a pivotal figure in controlling the 45 million eos that bitthumb has at their exchange and uses to sell votes with that so the question is if if these 68 million end up on bitthumb that is a problem and Tony is one of the guys who would not only directly benefit from that because he'd be able to sell them, um, he would be able to control where they go because he's on the active permission. Okay. Is that a question or? Yeah, what, yeah, like what can we do to prevent that? That's a problem. I think anyone listening would probably recognize that that's a bit of a moral hazard and not healthy for governance. So maybe, what are your thoughts on that? Perhaps you don't have to answer a question, just uh, comment. Can can you repeat then? So you just made a statement that is, uh, I mean, you're 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 stipulating things that are either factual or not, uh, and then coming up with a scenario, and you want me to comment on a non-factual, potentially conspiracy scenario? No, I'm not going to do that, Chris. I gave you my position, which is me as. A, a, um, one of the key signatories, I'm not in favor of utilizing those tokens uh, to vote in governance and or to use. I think the second part that you mentioned was whether or not those tokens would be like sold or put on an exchange. 
th these tokens are likely not moving at all for any, uh, you know, in any time soon anyways. Uh, there was also some people asking whether or not those tokens would be dumped on the market in order to uh, liquidate for USDT. No, that makes absolutely no sense. The purpose for this and what the network reached consensus on, the network still controls through the block producers, the, uh, the, the, basically this is under ownership of EOS ILO prods, is for a particular function, which is what I explained with the ENV. And what you've just mentioned has nothing to do with that. And the block producers, as they exist, whether or not you like the current consensus mechanism, would likely, I believe, but I'm not a key holder, likely not stand for that, and they would be able to act. Now, some people say EOS can't act quick enough. I call bullshit on that. Two weeks ago, there was a hack, and the EOS block producers reacted very quickly. Some people say yes, but, uh, for example, there are some BPs that don't participate. I'll call bullshit on that, too. So, for example, there are two instances in the last week where Binance's tokens were used without them knowing in order to affect governance. Binance has a very clear policy of not wanting to get involved in governance since Steemit and Hive. That does not mean that they're not paying attention and that they're not participating. They just do not want ultimately to affect the governance votes. And so this happened on two occasions. One is that there's a particular block producer uh, through Genpool uh, that essentially has the, uh, I guess, indirect control of, uh, of, of EOS or two or three, three of the, the proxies within Genpool reached out to Binance and asked them to change uh, votes, not telling them that it had to do with the current governance process and the current vote that was ongoing. So Binance changed those votes. Uh, and then once Binance realized that actually they were now participating in governance on something specific at that time, they put everything back. Uh, the other time that that happened, uh, and Chris, as you well know, is when Helios pushed trust staking into the, the mix. And trust staking is just ultimately the, you know, it could have been any BP, but it ended up happening uh, being that one was pushed in to try and stop this, uh, I guess, MSIG from passing. Uh, Binance uh, saw that as well and removed votes from trust taking in order to, again, not affect governance. Um, these issues of whether or not there should be, uh, Binance should have two nodes or whether or not the current consensus mechanism works as is or proxies or whatever, those are completely outside of the purview of ENV. You can disagree with the current consensus mechanism and we should be working towards trying to improve that. But those are completely separate things. Now, a lot of the, the, so some of the BPs, in fact, actually, there are about four BPs that don't vote in governance. Uh, there's Binance, OKX, Bitfinex, and Infinistons. Infinistons is like a 0.5, um, so to speak. But really, when you reach 15 as of 21, you're actually reaching 15 on the 17. So the, the threshold uh, to be able to pass is actually very high. And when you look at data on chain, which is uh, non-arguable, there's roughly 334 million uh, tokens currently staked and participating in, in EOS governance. And so this idea as well that BitHum single-handedly controls everything is flawed. You don't need to believe me, just look at on-chain data. I'll give you the exact number right now because I wanted to pull it up. So voter stats on EOS at block number, whatever, 
or sorry, 278,242,873. So the exact block at the time of the MSIG execution, there was 334,409,754.0847 EOS staked. 848,807 voters, so just short of 850,000 voters. Of those, uh, there's 5,587 voters with more than 1,000 uh, votes, 981 accounts, and 981 accounts with more than 10,000 votes, 170, 187 accounts with more than 100,000 votes, and 83 accounts with more than, with more than 1 million votes. This idea, again, that this does not represent a clear supermajority, this idea that single-handedly one person and or one exchange made this go through is complete bullshit. It is not true. That is a narrative that some people would like you to believe because they've got another agenda, and it does not represent the actual facts on chain, whether you like me or not. And Part of what we've seen in the last week is that some individuals are trying to push a vision that does not align with the current supermajority, and they took this opportunity to politicize it and to try to make their voices louder than what they in fact really are and try to stop this from occurring and trying to push buttons in order to showcase that this in fact did not represent a clear supermajority. You don't have to believe me. Those are statistics and data on chain. This has nothing to do with, with me at all. Well, I think it did kind of, because I think I, the one question I asked earlier, which you sort of glossed over, was that when the media opportunity, the, the rationale that was provided at the beginning of your monologue was that there was a media opportunity to get this out so it would be picked up by Coindesk and Coinbase, or Coindesk, sorry, mm -hmm. and, and be proliferated. And then that passed. Mm -hmm. We saw that that opportunity had passed, yet the MSAG, so that was an opportunity that I think was a lost opportunity to back up a second. You, re you recognized you made a mistake, and then you didn't no. take a chance to listen no. and say, oh, you know what? Hey, everybody, no. sorry, we pushed it through because of the media. Now we can we could wait a week because it's really it's too late. We've acknowledged now the media opportunity is lost. Let's get some feedback. We can launch it with Point now taken, four or seven. Baby. And you didn't. And you said that. So it sounds like there was more of a reason to push it through that we're not quite hearing, perhaps. Chris, point taken. You represent a voice that ultimately did not align with the majority. The majority were good with on-chain, non-debatable data where they are the signatories. They did not agree with the position that you just mentioned, which was retracting the MSIG and going at, it, at this again. They did not agree with that. Point taken, that is your position. That is what you would have done. You do not represent the signatories on chain in the way that the current governance system is, is made. But point taken, you did not like that. I'm not saying that is a mistake. I'm saying I recognize and I take responsibility for having put it out the way it did, recognizing that the opportunity um, in the way that it was being presented and that I still stand by that, that was a massive opportunity that we ultimately did not capture. But this idea that, uh, that, that basically because we or I or whoever did not listen to you as an individual and did exactly what you wanted, and so thereby, if we don't listen to you, then it was ultimately flawed. No, I don't agree with. As I said before, there are people that didn't agree with the 68 million either. They wanted the 67 million tokens from, from block one. This idea that everybody were, was able to dictate exactly what they want is flawed. 
what we have is on-chain consensus, which is an overlap of what ultimately kind of touches upon what everybody kind of wants to the best of you know, the ability in terms of what is being presented. And that MSIG, that pass, is that overlap whereby it actually kind of aligns with the majority of people in some way, shape, or form. And you can't debate that the MSIG passed. All right. Um, kind of on the same topic, uh, John Paul asks, you know, if you had to do it over again, would you do it the same way? This question was asked a lot. Um, I would do it the same way. Uh, my job and, and, and what I was given as a task on behalf of, of the ENF and, and by the block producers and by the network was to try and position EOS to make it, you know, make it the greatest comeback in crypto history. And we've seen over the last year, um, and we've had a much better understanding of what our competitors are doing right and what we are doing wrong, and or where we potentially can go and, and uh, close the gap. And in retrospect, th that is different. But if, if I had to go back again and and make that decision again with the information that I have, the potential opportunity that light ahead in the current market that we're in, in the particular location that was in with everything that's going around with FTX, knowing that we want to raise capital, um, massive capital outside of EOS, that ultimately we want EOS to be, the EOS LP to be, let's say 15 or so, 20% of the entire fund so that we need to go reach, if, if it's $400 million or so, we need to go raise roughly $300 million, giving just approximates. In order to raise that $300 million, if most people are going to be dedicating 500,000, a million, maybe some people are going to be you know putting 5 million as an LP, that ultimately I need to get what, maybe 150 different VCs to invest in this thing, 100, 150 different VCs, which means in order to do that, I need to reach out to maybe 1,000 or maybe even more than that, maybe 5,000 or 2,000 different VCs or something like that. And that the opportunity that lies lie ahead in order to be able to make this announcement at that particular time, backed by us being in a particular location that would be able to amplify that even more um, with a task at hand, yeah, the, the opportunity far outweighed the discourse that we saw that, that was well known. We knew this was going to happen um, with the job that I'm tasked to do. Yeah, I do, I do it again. It doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't, I take responsibility for that. You can disagree with that, but that is the position that I'm put in to make that call. And the network will keep me accountable for this. So I also recognize that there's a likelihood that VPs uh, no longer uh, align with the way that we did things and or that DNF, you know, that I may be removed from my position and or that the ENF may lose its funding, I still believe uh, that the opportunity and the time and the lack of time that we have, we don't have this luxury. This was a massive, massive opportunity that ended up not working out, but the massive opportunity still remained a massive opportunity. Right. Um, this, I want to address again something because I know, Chris, this questions. really ruffles you up. Community is part of this. So 
community comes in various different forms. Some of the token holders are community members. Uh, the people that participate in the applications are community members. The people in this fireside are community members. The builders are community members. Just because you, as an individual, didn't get your way does not mean that we as the ENF and or me as an individual does not listen and or participate in the community. That I wholeheartedly disagree on. We've been having these fireside chats now every week for, I don't know, eight months or something like that. This idea that we're not in the community, that we don't listen to the community, that we are not a part of the community, that we are not transparent and or that because we weren't at the fireside last week because we were in a plane, that we never are in the fireside or that we never communicate, it's complete garbage. That is not true. As the ENF, from day one, we've been extremely transparent in what we do, what we publish, how we publish it. We're still striving to do even better. And I take responsibility for making mistakes. But this idea that we don't communicate or that we don't listen to community, that is not true. We do listen to community. And community comes in various different shapes and forms. Um, and we do our best, and I do my best, to try and get the best overall global picture I mean, you as an individual, Chris, for example, we've been having bilats once every two weeks for the last six months. So this idea that we don't communicate or that I don't communicate to the community, we, we make ourselves available in an unscripted public AMA every week. This idea that we don't listen to the community, I do not agree. I wholeheartedly believe that that is bullshit. It's this particular example. So you're generalizing your entire track record up to now, and I'm not generalizing everything. I'm generalizing this particular moment in time where there was, and I, if I'm the only person who had an issue with this MSIG and how it was done, then I, fair enough. You, I, I'm you're a, not the only one. lone member of one. But my point that I'm trying to make is that there was an opportunity to backtrack because your stated intention of doing this quickly was lost. Because you lost the media opportunity, there was a very good chance to at least back up a bit. Because I don't think I was alone with the concerns. That's the part that was And important. that was That's discussed. And that, and that point taken. And that was discussed. And that was not the way forward that was agreed upon. You can disagree with that. But that is not the, the direction that, that essentially ended up happening. And the consensus was reached. That's my point about community. That's it. It's just that one. That there was the part where the community didn't matter because but you the could people have who voted this are also the community. And there's a lot of people that did agree with this approach. Ultimately, you cannot debate the, the on-chain consensus that occurred with all the data that I gave you that what you, I'm not saying that you and that there weren't many other people that didn't agree with this and that would have liked for the MC to be pulled away um, in order to give more chance for debate and or even to be able to potentially affect the vote in some way, shape, or form, because let's be honest, that's what you're trying to do. Ultimately, that was brought up and the people did not agree with that. And so that MSIG was not pulled back. Um, and then the MSIG ended up remaining as is, and it did reach consensus. You cannot agree with that. That is fine. But this idea that the community wasn't listened to because your particular request wasn't listened to, that is not accurate. That is, that is not true. And there are BPs that didn't agree with this. There are BPs that withheld their vote for a long period of time, in part because they didn't agree with the way that this was being done. You're not the only one. There are other people like this. But ultimately, you can't debate. This, this, did, this did reach consensus in the way that we have consensus on EOS.
I'll fill the dead space. I got, I got one more. Uh, the 68 million uh, EOS that was used. So th there was a suggestion, like, so it was, we've heard that 68 million, we needed a large number to bring in other LPs because they wanted to see this big lump sum there already. Did you receive any letters of intent about that? Like, is there any actual semi more than just word commitments? Because an action has taken place, but I hope that was based on actual, like more than just soft commitments. Can we see any of the letters of intent, perhaps just redacted from the names? No, because there was no fund. That there's no, no the network didn't even reach consensus on having this function be available. And so these these VCs can't give you a letter of intent on something that does not exist. No. Yes, and I know can. now you're trying to stress. That's, that's no, they no, they can't. Yes, they can. All right, point taken, Chris. But no, there are no letters that I can share with you. And, and you can keep at this. I know you've got a big conspiracy going on. Go for it. I mean, it this is a fair question, Eve. I'm asking you fair questions. The conspiracy part was only about Tony, who owns and well, doesn't own. He controls 45 million of BitThumb's votes. That's not a conspiracy. It's a fact, and you can refer to it as a conspiracy, but it's actually the reality. So these are just all points that I'm bringing up, and Tony is one of the two-thirds that can move those funds. It is a bit of a optics problem, from my view, and I'm not saying Tony's a bad guy, it, but it certainly doesn't look great. It's not two thirds. So feedback was taken from the community. It's now five eighths. So just want to set that record straight on the MSIG uh, for the EOSIO.fund account. Four sevenths. Um, four sure. sevenths. Yeah. Sorry, so sorry. No, yeah, there are seven. no letters to be able to show you, Chris. Um, and you can keep going on this rampage. Go for it. That is. That is it's not a rampage. Cool. It's good negotiating. And if you're going to bring in LPs working for a VC who's also working to try to get LPs, letters of intent are very useful. And you try to do that before you make big commitments. There are no commitments. There are no commitments right now. Right. You, There's not issued, even an entity. It was more than a commitment. You're right. You actually made 68 more new, new EOS and dug up this whole shitstorm. So like, you're right. Prior to that happening, you can receive LOIs. It's absolutely possible. You don't need an actual entity to do that. You can get LOIs from VCs. All right, thank you. All right, I wanted to. I, 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 real quick. I, I, yeah, go for it, Zach. Uh, without, without a letter and intent to show you, I could tell you with my reputation on the line that I've been around many of the VCs that are in discussion with this, both in the presence of Eve and not in the presence of Eve. And I could validate that there is uh, interest in this. So whether it, it's on paper or not, through conversations that I've had personally, I could validate that there is mutual interest on both sides, should this come to fruition. Let me add to that, if I'm allowed, read from Zaizan, uh, one of the investors that was on the dinner, uh, Yuri, he uh, organized uh, events in Lisbon and in Dublin with uh, 90 up to 80 uh, investor, family funds, tech investors, large crypto holders. Uh, there's a big interest in, in what's happening here in EOS, um, community owned. Uh, we saw FTX, we see a lot of projects where the founding teams have large bags of uh, their own crypto. They can manipulate the market incredibly. People start to understand what's going on and how it is being played. And uh, there's a lot of investors that want more transparency and more uh, 
architectures, later layer one solutions where things like that cannot happen. Um, and the token price is on the, at a very interesting level. So they can make a, a nice ride if uh, the things go in the way we expect it to go. So it's very, very, very interesting the time we are right now, I think. So I'm very happy that this uh, happened, that uh, Eve and the team was able, able to pull it off. Uh, I know it's uh, nine month, six months of work to get this uh, over the line. Uh, informally, I've, I've, I've been updated on everything that's going on. Uh, the Tony guy that's spoken of, I don't think he has full power again. I think his contract was done, but I'm not in that loop completely. But just my two cents here. Thank you, Rhett, for uh, for joining us today and sharing your uh, your thoughts. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop trying to insert my comments here, and I'm just gonna play some music and let you guys ask more questions and share more comments. I had a question. Rodrigo here. Can you hear me? Yes, Rob. Welcome to the fireside. Thank you. Great to hear from everybody today. Um, <clears throat> I was curious, Eve, on the EOS LP side, if you had any sort of hypothetical uh, scenario on how that'll drive value back to the protocol. Say an investment was successful, what would that actually look like in driving value back to the protocol? That's a very good question. So I've been talking about the ENV a lot, which is essentially the GP, which will be the vehicle for external to be able to cap uh, come into the ecosystem. And they're essentially kind of the, the managers of whatever funds uh, are set their way. So they're the ones reviewing um, the, the potential investment opportunities and ultimately making the investments, right? So that's on the GP side of things. The EOS LP, which uh, right now we're, we're naming, I guess, the EFM, EOS Fund Management. So I'll, I'll, instead of saying EOS LP, I'll just say EFM. It'll be easier going forward. This idea of the, the EFM um, and how it can... Uh, essentially uh, fund as an LP the GP while being still accountable and creating enough accountability to the block producers and the network validators because those accounts still belong, the, the, the funds essentially always belong to the network. At onset, um, actually, there was a lot of talk of veto. Uh, this idea that the EFM would have a veto over where and how the ENV can deploy capital. Um, for example, ENV does research on a particular project and it determines that it wants to make an investment, uh, but then the EFM says, no, we veto. We do not believe that that aligns with the overall mission. It, for whatever reason, it doesn't bring enough value back to the EOS ecosystem and or there's already gray zones that we need to figure out in the next couple months. For example, what does that e even mean? So since that announcement came out, some people are reaching out like, hey, I'm an, I'm leveraging the, the Antelope code or actually, yeah, I'm leveraging EOSIO code even in one instance. Do I uh, fit the requirements to, to be able to be invested in? Um, so none of that is defined yet. So that will be defined over the last period of time. But at first glance, for me, my answer is no. So I said, no, if you're simply leveraging the software stack, but you're not using the token and or deployed directly on the mainnet, I'm sorry, but that doesn't count. 
And then you get more of the gray zone of, well, what if I'm a different chain? And so I'm losing my, using my own iteration, but I'm hashing to the mainnet. It becomes gray because I guess you kind of are using the mainnet, but really, are you driving much value back to the mainnet? Like, is that really worth something? I don't know. I'm leaning towards no. I don't think that that'd be the case, but that's not going to be my call. That's what we'll need to figure out over the next couple of months when we design and we draft um, term sheets in terms of where the bylaws are, what is the mission mandate of these entities and such. Anyways, going back to this idea of the veto, um, that ultimately did not reach consensus. There are too many people that were opposed with this idea of a veto from the EFM to the NV in large part because uh, the NV's one of its mission and, and mandates will be to attract external capital. And if you're trying to external attract external capital um, from different VCs, the structure that you do that you have and that you're building around needs to be quite vanilla because the more you kind of veer off the tracks, the harder it is for uh, external LPs and the more risk there is, I guess, and the more uncertainty there is. And so the harder and the higher the the, the barrier is for those um, external LPs to, to want to deploy into the ecosystem. The way that that reached consensus essentially, or the, the design function by which um, kind of was able to get over that particular uh, gap was through something that's very standard, very formal, that is called commit calls. And so the funds stay in the LP, uh, which is currently the, I guess, the EOSIO.fund uh, account is not the LP. That is simply the, the fund itself. Uh, but the LP that is still not created, that the, you know, still not defined yet, they, uh, that group of individuals and that entity will essentially do commit calls to the, or sorry, the GP will do commit balls to the LP. And maybe that will take it the form of, very similar to, to the ENF, where smaller amounts are given, there's trust that's built, and at some point, maybe then um, the, the amounts grow in size. But realistically, as I said before, even if there was capital right now, there's very few actual investments to be made. Like even if you had it tomorrow, there's still a lot of work to do, and there's not that much. So even if you wanted to, even if you did have access, even if the ENV had access to, let's say, 68 million tokens and change, they would not be able to deploy them tomorrow anyways. But through this function of commit call, then you somewhat, uh, you, you make it that every time is kind of a decision similar to the ENF. So this also created based on the feedback that we received um, from the ENF, I guess, from the, the token holders and the stakeholders about the ENF is that we currently have uh, a structure where the ENF goes back to the block producers and uh, requests funding, then the block producers assess at that time based on the direction and the feedback and you know what they've seen that the ENF has done, and then make that decision at that time as to whether or not they want to continue funding that um, that the, the ENF, that entity. That will be very similar between the EFM and the ENV, whereby funds are transferred from EFM to ENV. Let's take, for example, a million EOS. Within that million EOS, then the ENV can operate freely. So it can go do research and uh, make decisions on uh, which investments it'd like to make. Now, within the ENV, though, there's going to be one individual from the EFM that's going to be embedded in the ENV that simply is a function of accountability, whereby it also this person also participates in uh, the research and in the determination of whether or not investments should be made in whatever particular potential investment. And that if it sees that the ENV is no longer aligned, then obviously because it's embedded in there, but this person actually belongs to the EOS LP, to, 
the EFM can then make the recommendation to the EFM, by the way, we're, we're stopping funding. We're, you know, the ENV is going off rails. We're not sending more. So the next time they ask for a commit call, we're just not simply uh, sending more uh, tokens. Essentially, we're not we're not funding this anymore. They're not aligned anymore. And then accountability can happen there, and or changes can be made to the process or what they potentially invest in, and or any kind of direction. The EFM, or the OSLP, is kind of the in between between the current BPs and then the ENV. So at first, part one of the drafts was no EFM, just ENV. And so this function of the FM came about as a middle body because of the size of the tokens, because of that particular function in order to add extra accountability. Now, on the second part, which is, is really what you, you asked in terms of the carry. So all of this, so all of this, what I just said right now, that is what we're now going to undertake with, um, with legal and with um, uh, members of this space, like VCs and other GPs, to define this structure. So what I basically just told you are some of the concerns, some of the goals, some of the like desi design um, requirements. So then we're going to present that to a legal team. Like this is what we're trying to achieve. These our these are our concerns. This is what we want to ensure doesn't happen. This is what we want to ensure does happen. How can we create entities and how can we structure these entities and the term sheets between the entities so that it fulfills those goals? All of this hasn't happened yet. This is what's going to happen going forward. Now, one, um, uh, in terms of carry, in terms of uh, uh, that, essentially, if an investment is made and then there's profit and or there's, there's uh, you know, that investment is successful, then that carry. So let's talk about the carry, which is what you asked. How do you ensure that that actually drives value back to the EOS token holders? Two of the ways that we mentioned right now in the PR that we did release that are kind of known in the industry and are, are quite standard that we know likely we can leverage and that legal preliminarily has given the go-ahead that this is one way that this these particular entities, once they're set up, et cetera, et cetera, would likely be able to do is through um, token buybacks and or to token burns, which is essentially the same thing, but to to side of the coin, give or take. Um, so those would be ways whereby if investments are made, those investments are successful, the carry that goes back to the EOS LP now becomes revenue and, and dividends for that EOS LP. What do you do with that, that revenue? Well, then it can go back into, like I said, token buybacks and, and or a token burn and or token lockup. Those are ways that we know that within this space have shown to be um, uh, somewhat successful and or are possibilities. Think of Binance with the BNB burns, for example. Um, those are just examples of now what we need to figure out is, all right, what can we do? What are we legally allowed to do? Uh, how could we structure it? How do we ensure that that happens um, so that we don't recreate uh, what we saw with EOS VC, for example? All of this is, is, um, is to come. Uh, all of this right now are ideas um, and now basically the work, the administrative, administrative operation, operation, I'm screwing up this word to operationalize the operationalization. I just screwed up that anyways, of this function is now can now begin. And this is what's now happening. Um, and if you have other Thank ideas, you like for the detailed about, answer. we even talked about, for example, maybe this will, will need a new blue paper. Uh, whereby we actually commission a paper to look at what could be done with potential revenue. Because when you talk about carry and you talk about uh, standard VCs and such, 
as I mentioned, we need to structure it in a way that is somewhat vanilla so that we can actually attract capital from the outside and that it is, um, that is standard enough that, that you know, they don't need to jump through hoops in order to understand, understand it. But realistically, those dividends in a typical uh, carry structure are maybe like five plus one plus one or something like that. So we're talking about years time before those investments actually generate revenue we still have plenty of time as a community to be able to figure out, all right, when funds come back, when investments are made and now are generating revenue, how can we ensure that those funds actually go and not just our funds? So we will only be responsible for the EOS LP side of things, right? The EFM, uh, the other external LPs that generate revenue and they have dividends, they can do whatever they want. It's their profit. The idea behind this fund is to take it from you know the, the current target of 100 million to bring it to 400 million. At some point, people asked, for example, well, why wouldn't you want to just reinvest into the fund? So you take the carry and you put it back. That might be the case for a period of time until you reach that goal. But at some point, the fund is large enough that you're uh, you're essentially because of the, the the investments are being made, they generate revenue. Um, or they, let's say they're a successful investment, they generate dividends. And so they double in value or whatever it may be. At some point, your fund will keep growing, but there's no point to a certain extent where the fund just grows too much because you don't need more than a certain amount. At some point, there's not enough investments to make anyways. Our current goal is that 400 million range. It is possible that one of the mechanisms will be that um, the funds are reinvested into the fund. That's possible likely the non-carry percentage so let's say you had a million dollars that becomes two million dollars let's say the carry is 70 percent then seven hundred thousand dollars goes back in uh, as carry for the eoslp well that one million that was initially put in that'll go back um but maybe at some point actually it doesn't even need to go back because there's enough capital from outside that the majority of the capital is actually from externals and EOS doesn't even need to be an LP anymore. And all it does is reap the benefits of the investments that it made and it can now go burn, go buy back, like I said, airdrop, uh, whatever it may be. That is still undefined. We still need to figure out what that will look like. Uh, but essentially the goal is to create value back specifically to EOS holders. How will we do that? Well, we will do research to figure out how we can do that. What is possible? What is legally possible? What are others doing? Um, we've got time for this. Nothing is happening to, in, in, in the near future. It will take months before any capital actual moves, any capital actually moves anyways. And then it will take years before any capital actually returns a dividend, most likely. Just a positive suggestion on uh, trying to lure in more VCs as LPs, uh, give up some of that carry that would go to the, the EFN portion. So actually deliberately give up some of that carry to the VCs so they get more. Did that make yeah, sense? Thanks for that, Eve. And uh, Chris, good suggestion especially for attracting people. I just love the idea of aligning VC with uh, a decentralized chain like EOS. We know there's some examples of VCs having started like their own ecosystems, but uh, this to me feels like there's something really innovative here. So looking forward to seeing how it unfolds.
Yeah, this is uh, Michael Talenko. Uh, appreciate your time, uh, Ease and Zach, for taking the time to answer the questions. I actually had um, – you've answered a, a number of my questions. The one remaining one I have, and it sounds as though that um, – to be the case that – so at this time, then, the, the ENF doesn't anticipate – uh, creating any more EOS coins through inflation um, outside of the ENV or, or the current 3% to fund any additional future projects um, at this uh, time? That is correct. But the EFM, uh, the ENF, sorry, also did not and is not getting these tokens. These are not for the ENF. So just to make that clear, because I also read a lot of people uh, saying that basically those tokens will be used to fund ENF operations. They cannot. We need to ensure that they're not. Um, the other way around as well, the ENF could not fund this. So we also looked at what if the ENF was the EOS LP? Um, and there were a lot of concerns with that, a lot of actual uh, like legal concerns and, and in terms of financial linkage and such. Um, and so these are, and they will be, I guess they are not because this other entity doesn't exist, but these need to be separately uh, separate. These need to be completely financially uh, distinct as well. Um, and no, there's no, uh, uh, anyways, there's no, there's nothing in the works or in process about, uh, any other type of, uh, token issuance okay, or you. whatever it is. Yes. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Uh, one thing that was brought up actually to add, as I mentioned earlier, in the discussions of where would funds potentially come from for uh, an idea such as the 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 ENV uh, in the yield plus blue paper they elaborate or i guess they they mention a few they don't really elaborate very much um, but this idea of going back the and and throughout these discussions with the block producers over the last uh, few months and so and and in this chat here listening to people over the last couple of months um, this idea of like i mentioned earlier the 2% for example Two uh, percent was being put into saving. It was essentially shut down. Five percent went down to one percent, back to three percent. Um, there are uh, there's still a voice of individuals that believe that um, anything within the white paper parameters, which would be to actually uh, reinstate inflation up to five percent, that they would be okay with that. I'm not convinced of this right now. Um, it is not in talks, or there's nothing in line for that. But uh, you know, to, to to let you know, um, there are people that believe um, that essentially the the parameters of the white paper, as they were stated in the white paper, we are still under those parameters, and so that there is potentially still room. Um, I don't see the need for this right now. I don't know where that would go, anyways. These are not discussions, or there's nothing planned for this. Uh, but it is a position that that has been shared. Yeah. By well, some, yeah. Yeah, I mean, understood. I mean, inflation can be a double-edged sword, but uh, obviously you're always trying to get more utility than what you're uh, creating, um, but understood. Thank you. I think there was somebody in the community as well um, that ran the numbers of, um, uh, of how many tokens would currently be in circulation if the 5% was never turned down. And if the uh, tokens that were retired were never retired, and I, I don't recall the amount, but it was something like 1.25 billion or 1.23 billion. Um, and, and so that's what I mean by that is it's still well within the original parameters. Um, 
Uh, it, and this so just came up in the side chat. It, it's 1.252 million, and it's, it's in the text chat. It was actually, it, it's t 0.1 billion tokens more than we currently have now, even with the uh, issuance last week. Ultimately, what, what reached consensus was the bigger picture, right? This idea that EOS needs to compete and it needs funding in order to be able to compete. And that, that this current time within the current uh, discussions that have occurred over the last year, that it was time to be able to present this, to bring EOS on stage and to be able to uh, essentially follow through on uh, what was given as a mandate, as well as uh, what we see as an opportunity within the space right now, considering everything that's happening to put EOS back into the, the spotlight. And so one feedback that we did receive a lot throughout this process was that a lot of people agreed with the function, agreed with even the parameters. What they didn't agree with is the process. And that has been uh, you know, received loud and clear uh, for sure. So let, so I'm gonna take this opportunity to take it back here to the start of the conversation where we we're talking about the uh, 68 million tokens that were burned just for uh, verification. Uh, the first 34 million EOS tokens were burned on May 7th, 2019, and then on February 25th, 2020, uh, the the network reached consensus on retiring a further 34 million tokens. Just wanted to put that out there. I'm just right, so catching up on chat. Uh, I'm just going to try to to reply to some things. A trim pot, you mentioned. Uh, yeah, thank you for the echo. You mentioned Chintai is an interesting one. Yeah, for example, uh, the hashing on chain. Does that actually fall in line with being an EOS investment? Could that fall in line? I don't know. I would say that that yeah, that clearly falls within the gray zone. Currently, in my thinking, is that that does not. Um, uh, I guess that would not read the requirements, uh, but again, that process of what those requirements would be, what that even entails, this is what we need to define now in the, in the next little bit. Uh, but yes, that is what I was referring to as one of the examples, for example. Another question here I had noted down from the chat. Many of those I noted down have been answered, uh, but John Powell asks, um, I'd be curious, Eve, if the sentiment has changed given FTX, uh, you know, events in the past week, an example, risk appetite. Have you heard anything from the VCs that had, you know, previously shown interest? Uh, if No, actually, this is a really good question. So um, in London, uh, the first day of token 2049 was, I think, the next day after all of this broke out. So the first, very first question for the very first panel was specifically about FTX. Um, and it was by far, like even on our panel, um, it was brought up and such. Uh, one thing that was really in interesting and even 
prior to that in Singapore is that there's a lot of capital being raised right now. Um, there's a lot of smart money uh, being raised and essentially they're looking for places to deploy that capital. And in light of what just happened, they're looking to deploy even more because right now there's tremendous opportunity at a discount. The dollar that they have or the dollar that they've raised prior to this is worth even more. So it gives them even more power um, if you have capital. Uh, and so I'd say it's the opposite. Right now, there's a lot of capital looking to be deployed and they're looking for sound investments. They're looking for um, you know, areas that, are, that have proven to be reliable and such. And we see in EOS's case, and this was brought up, uh, for example, when we were having the dinner with some VCs, EOS doesn't have liabilities. EOS is an undervalued asset. EOS is a non-arguable, performant, and reliable chain. EOS has been live up and running with zero downtime for a little over four years. Um, that puts us at a tremendous, uh, very favorable position with the capital that is out there. There's a lot of capital that was made in the last bull market. Now, obviously, people remember those that lost, uh, but there's leading up to that for everybody who lost, there's somebody who exited. And there's a lot of capital out there looking for sound investments. And right now is the perfect time to deploy because it's not really busy. It's not really loud. It's quite slow. People are focused on building. Um, and this, this puts us at a tremendous advantage as an ecosystem. Uh, another question based on uh, milestone projects. So that's the way that the ENF operates in general. So you saw we released today um, the project. I don't know what you call it, but I guess the, the project plans or the how we manage projects. And so everything we do is always milestone based since we've been able to do that function. So at some point we didn't have staff and we didn't have the capacity to be able to do so, but that's very long time ago now. Um, you bring up a really interesting point. We actually brought that up with some of the VCs. Because capital right now, as I just mentioned, is in demand, um, it's rare and it's in demand, is it possible that we'd be able to, as an EOS LP, for example, or, or sorry, that the ENV as a GP, for example, when making investments, could potentially have more power over how those investments are, um, are given, whether it's in milestone-based, which is not really standard for a VC, but maybe we are in a market where that's actually possible. Um, that are made, for example, in EOS and that are vested so that very or less of the capital be um, uh, converted to fiat and or some type of stablecoin in order to, um, uh, to, to, to help with operations. Those are things that are really interesting right now, um, whether or not it's possible in a standard market, that's not really possible, especially the milestone-based type of thing from a VC point of view in the sense that we operate it right now. Uh, within the ENF, which is really completely milestone-based. You don't do the work, you don't get paid type of thing. Whether or not we can actually replicate that, but in a VC model, um, I that would be amazing. Whether or not we have the capacity to be able to do that, I will definitely um, try to explore and, and be pushing for that personally. On this, um, the health report, ENF health reports, great job, by the way, whoever formatted this and has created the template, uh, I think they've done an excellent job. One um, room for potential improvement, I think, and it's just generally around financial transparency. Uh, could we add uh, like actual dollar amounts? So all of these are recipients of funding from the ENF, so it's inflation. 
I think uh, those of us who own tokens would be uh, would appreciate that extra form of clarity as to how much money is going to these projects. And then further to that, the milestones. I'm going to assume that the ENF is very diligent with using milestone-based funding uh, process, essentially. So when you have the key milestone section, there could just be another column there that says how much uh, how much funds are then made available once a milestone is reached. So that's already public um, in the grant framework, which is uh, the GitHub component, basically. So this product or this this is a standalone product, so to speak. Um, and so all of the grant recipients through the grant framework, anyways, all of the milestones and the amounts of the milestones already that's that's already public. Um, so you can go see for yourself. And in terms of uh, some of those that didn't come through the the grant framework, for example, the amounts. Uh, have either already been made public through the quarterly report, so you can go and check that um, in terms of where they are. Um, otherwise, uh, those that are not in the grant framework and that are not in the quarterly reports, um, I'd have to look into whether or not, uh, through the current contracts that we have, whether or not we can make the milestone payments uh, public, the levels and what the work needs to be done. I don't see why not, but we would need to confirm with those um, those individuals. That's a really good suggestion. So for example, Haifa, so the amount was 850,000. The breakdown of what the milestones are, I don't recall, but I think it's, it's, it is over, uh, you know, I think it's a 12 month period. And I believe there's something like 16 milestones, give or take. Um, that is not currently in terms of the, the each milestone, how much and what that actual work is. So the scope of work, basically, that is in the agreement that we have with them. Uh, we would need to confirm with them that they're okay with releasing that, first of all. But I'm not opposed to that. That's a really good idea. Yeah, and, and even the ones where you, you mentioned there's information is available if I go to the GitHub or whatever. I'm just, as a document, I just, I really like it. So please, it's a compliment. And it's just the more you can put, if you can add the funding pieces, it just makes us one more of a one-stop shop that people can go and get all the answers versus also going to the GitHub and other places. The other point about having the milestone funding there is individuals in the community who have skills and are looking to even up their skills, as we saw, say, in the Ideathon, if people knew what funding was available and how much certain tasks cost, they might be more willing to like, oh shit, I should maybe consider a career change because look at how much it costs to do QAQC. And like, there's a, a real good milestone amount there that's probably linked to what it actually costs to do that task. Maybe I'll learn how to do that. So I just think it, it creates an opportunity to get more engagement from the community to uh, help build. Uh, yeah, so on that front, uh, Pomelo has been working on the bounty section now for quite some time. And when that bounty section comes out, we will definitely be leveraging it. We'll be converting all of the RFP processes that we've been doing through Antelope, for example, uh, the coalition, also deploying them in the bounty section of, of, um, of Pomelo. Um, and other functions, as you just mentioned, uh, being able to put out more in a very uh, easy public format, uh, you know, what it is we're, we're, we're trying to get done and basically how much we're, we're looking to pay for that particular function. Right now, all of the JDs, so all the job descriptions and the jobs essentially are public. So people can apply, obviously, if they have a particular skill set and we're looking for something in particular. In terms of going back as well to the, the report and the, the current report that you, you brought up, uh, in order to do those, it, it requires a lot of time and a lot of individuals. So it's, it's really no small task to actually do this. So I know some people talk about the quarterly reports and they say that they would like more into it. So it's something that we continuously refine just to do the quarterly reports is extremely difficult. It takes a lot of time. It, it, there's a lot of people that go into this. 
one of the things that we're working on right now is at the end of year for uh, the ENF was September 30th. And so after September 30th, we start with Grant Thornton, uh, the auditors, working on the, the official uh, full audit and such. What we're, it, it, this will take months uh, because it's quite massive. What we're looking to do is how can we then publish uh, the actual Grant Thornton audited financials to the public while still respecting um, and basically abiding by the by the laws and, and the agreements that we have, et cetera. Um, and so I'm hoping that we're going to be able to publish something maybe uh, in March or April of next year, whereby it actually goes into much, uh, much more detail than the quarterly reports. But it really is important to mention that those quarterly reports, even to meet those timelines and to do that little thing which you might think is dinky, requires a lot of people and a lot of capital to be able to produce. It is not very, um, it's, it's not that easy. Uh, and then we need to respect, obviously, the laws and, and the rules and the regulations. I know, Chris, you had mentioned, for example, why don't we pay people in EOS? Well, we're not legally allowed to do so in the United States, for example. So even if we wanted to, we cannot do so um, because EOS is not, or crypto is not considered um, a valuable form of payment. And so we're not allowed, for example. So what we've been trying to do um, is to act within uh, the rules and regulations to try and push the envelope, which which we we definitely do, and it's been very difficult um, on that front. But we try to continuously bridge the balance between the transparency of what we're trying to build and what we're trying to do with the current traditional world that doesn't necessarily allow for everything. Also with the capacity that we have, uh, the amount of staff that we have, the skill sets that we have, et cetera, um, and what you see essentially is the result of that. And yes, we'll keep on trying to improve and, and to make things better for sure. Good suggestion. Just one thing you said there, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So the ENF is not permitted to make any payments whatsoever in EOS? Oh, we make payments in EOS. I'm not allowed to pay employees in the US in EOS, for example. They, they can't they're an employee, they are specifically not for just, just there, it's, it, I can it's, post it's, what the, the thing is, but we are not allowed to pay people in cryptocurrency as an employee. It's specifically for pay. It's specifically specific now, to payrolls. Just, so if, it, yeah, just, I wanted EOS. Like now, we do pay contractors in EOS. We pay those that can receive EOS in EOS for sure. That is by far the method of payment that we prefer. One because it's really quick. It's easy. It's very simple. So um, you know, there's a logistical. Um, uh, reason for that. It's also, we've seen that when we send EOS, not everybody actually liquidates the EOS, so it creates less downward pressure on the token itself. But there are things that we're not allowed to do, and so we must respect that. And one of them is we're not allowed to pay employees that work for the ENF um, in crypto. We're, we're legally not allowed to do that. I think what one of the things, I guess this comes probably from a comment that I made where I think as far as I can tell, almost all of the funding that ENF is getting goes straight to Bitfinex. Maybe not all, a vast majority. Like I saw 4 million go just the other week. Mm -hmm. uh, the question was, could any of that perhaps instead maybe go through on-chain means with a memo just to add to uh, that? No, that's a really good question. So in order for us to get even approval uh, from the regulators to be able to do this the way that we're doing it, to be a, a non-for-profit and such, uh, the structure in which we had to in which we have to do it is very specific. So the funds um, 
start an EOS IO saving, which is a system account and is controlled by the block producers. The funds then transact to EOSIO.grants, which is owned by the block producers, uh, but then um, uh, the active key is, is two out of three plus uh, a three-day delay. That, so that doesn't, isn't accounted for. So we, we do not need to account for that when we do the accounting um, on an accounting point of view. Then the funds transact over to admin.grants. Admin.grants then sends to, um, to the Bitfinex account, which is where we have a corporate account. So we actually have a business account as the corporation. And then from there, we can transact everything. And all of the accounting has to occur within that one account. Um, so the way in which this is done is very specific. This is why we're able to, for example, um, from the EOSIO.grants account, send funds to uh, Eden, for example, so the, uh, and send, to send to Pomelo, for example. So each account and the way it is structured is very specific in order for us to be able to operate uh, legally, transparently, um, uh, as a non-for-profit, which then also brings about uh, benefits. Uh, to the to the ENF and or to the EOS ecosystem as a non for profit. So as much as uh, it is a good suggestion, that is the way that we need to do it. Is the current way that it is being done. Okay, then is it possible to get more granularity on the financial reporting in the quarterly reports? Um, because if as it can't be on chain, it's a lot of work. I know the, a lot. I'm familiar with no, it because I do the full audit. The full audit, um, and as much as we can by Grant Thornton, and so not by the ENF, we will aim to release uh, uh, when, it, when it is capable of being released within the limitations of what we can release. That way it won't come from us and you'll get uh, the most amount of information that we could potentially give you um, in a very professional format um, from an, a, an, an auditor. That's great. There is a bit of latency, though, with that process, unfortunately. I'm just saying maybe the quarterly reports. There's currently seven buckets that account for all of the financial spend from the ENF. Could that be more granular? Every report gets improved one by one. um, And ultimately, what we produce is what we're capable of producing and then what we're asked to produce. Uh, Thank you for your suggestions, Chris. I know where you're going with this. Keep on pushing. That's right. I'm pushing towards transparency. You've got it nailed. Exactly. It sounds like you're a maybe, maybe this is one of those. Yeah. It's, saying there's it's important. <laughs> it's important to remember that this, this, uh, this report took like an insane number of people at the ENF to produce, um, and iterate on for months and months and months. Uh, this is the result of just, I don't know how many, like over a dozen people I'm sure have worked on this and it will get better over time. It will include more. The data will get more visually interesting and, the whole, the whole deal. So, yeah, I think it's a great I, it's just I that need one to go. Uh, I'm now late uh, for something else. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, thank you for everybody who participated. We'll be here again next week. If you have anything, feel free, obviously, to reach out. Um, thank you, everybody. Take care. All right. Thank you, Eve, very much for coming on and. Uh, talking for two hours straight. Uh, you shared a lot of good information here. I'm sure there's gonna be more questions. I'm sure we'll talk about this topic again later. All right, so it's been two hours and um, we've only covered one topic. Uh, <laughs> I, I updated the cover image for you guys. Just shared that in the text chat. Um, basically, 
I think I think we'll just leave it there for today. I don't think talking about uh, other topics um, would do justice to those topics. Well, uh, we got one topic. Let, let's let's Waxa and Mel Pierce is on here. Let's let's talk about let's talk about their experiences in London at the dinner. Alrighty, and we're gonna also talk at real quick about coming. I just uh, it won't be about. it won't be relevant next week. Is the problem? Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, Rhett, Rhett was there too, so Rhett, Rhett already kind of spoke up though on it. Mel, are you still around? Mel probably went to bed. He's in London. Nope. Ah, to- I'm here. Never mind. Oh, oh, Wax is here. Good. I'm, I'm here. Oh, oh he is. Here. He lives. Hi, uh, guys. Yeah, I was there. I was at the. I was at the restaurant at the meal. Um, had a great time. Seeing all the guys. Um, yeah, I was um starstruck <laughs> seeing Zach and Eve, etc. Waxer and Eric, I was having a good old chat with them, and um, thoroughly enjoyed the evening. It went a bit quick, and I'd, I'd like to have seen a few more EOS guys there, to be honest. So, but obviously, um, Michael from Wire wasn't there, unfortunately. But, uh, um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, love to do it again. Yeah, Mel, it was good to sit with you during the meal. Um, we had a good chat. You're certainly the life of the party down there. So thank you for your entertainment. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, yeah. it was a good event. The, um, the conference, Token 20 and 49 conference was really good. It was a good opportunity to speak to multiple people, uh, meet new people, and obviously meet Zach and you for the first time. I had a good chat with a few projects um, like Alien World with regards to Eden and the Eden process and how we're planning to use the whitelisting of Eden members within certain games and NFTs. So hopefully with lots of different connections, uh, there'll be some opportunities there for Eden, EOS and Helios. Uh, it was and good to see Eve on stage as well. It was, it was generally a overall a great event. On the topic of NFTs, uh, the Atomic Assets guys, the Atomic Hub, they were at the dinner. Uh, they were also in London uh, beyond the dinner. So it was good having conversations with them on how we could expand uh, the NFT ecosystem on EOS and also get some uh, marketing materials from them that would be very useful. For example, um, like infographics and comparisons be- between like ERC 721s and-, and the Atomic Asset standard, which essentially is the EOS standard. So different ways. Uh, that we could uh, leverage each other. Another um, reason for the dinner was it was one to just thank everyone for supporting us, but it was also we work with so many different partners in isolation w- within this uh, the ENF, the EOS ecosystem. That w- one of the goals is really to cross pollinate everyone so that people could meet each other. That like we 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 might know each entity or each person individually, but they don't know each other. So kind of bringing everyone to the table and it, uh, there were a few connections made that I think uh, will lead to good things. Um, just small things like uh, connecting our PR team with some of the uh, projects there, for example, and uh, the different uh, VCs kind of connecting with each other as well as us. So overall, it was a, a great dinner. Uh, Zaisan uh, planned it all. So thank you. Shout out to Zaisan for all of the work that they did to help organize Token 2049 and, and Patty also from the ENF. Uh, Zach, I wasn't there. Uh, right here. Oh, you're there. You you were there the next day. I'm sorry. That's I was the, the next day. I flew in uh, because I was at Gardner. Um, so maybe next week we can have a a chat about everything that's going on on the events and uh, the Gardner events and the Gardner relationship and 
the development that we're trying to do with uh, uh, software vendors, uh, investors. Uh, there's a lot of work uh, being done right now. So I'm, I've done traveling. No, I still have one trip to London to do uh, for TechX. Um, I hope to see you there, uh, Mel. And, yeah, um, I'll be there, Mike. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And um, so I'll, I'll be there again in London. Uh, this time I was very short. Uh, but I've basically one trip to do this year. And then I've done, uh, I think I've done 10 trade shows in the last uh, three months. Um, so I'd love to come on next week to elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, and about the dinner, yeah, maybe about the dinner. I, I, I think there were like six Saizen people or five, I, I don't remember, but everybody um, loved it. Um, I got some people invited. Uh, Yuri, the investor that is rattling up a, a big community of investors, um, loved the, to talk to the Chinese investors that you guys brought in. So there was indeed a lot of uh, cross synergies and, and people that know each other from chats um, that finally had the opportunity to sit down uh, next to each other. Um, some of the Zizen people, at least three of us, are, were not OGs, were not in here uh, from day one. So they loved to see uh, some of you guys. Um, yeah, because I've, I've, the Zizen team is not, not only OGs. There's, of course, it's founded by Amsterdam, Crypto Lions, and uh, EOS Barcelona and EOS Dublin. So a lot of OGs in, in Zizen, Zizen, but uh, also a lot of new people. So it's good to, to have events like that where we can meet up. Awesome. So I'll, I'll be here next week. In for, uh, for next uh, week, yeah, perfect. More. And I forgot to say, um, I spoke to uh, Sebastian from Word Truth as well. Yeah, love you, guy. Very much so. He actually got a... Um, a freebie uh, keynote uh, on the side stage at Token 2049. It was funny. Shane Kehoe, who some of you guys may remember from SVK Crypto, uh, yeah. came to our, our booth. He's with um, Swissborg now. And he said that someone bailed on one of their keynotes and they needed to fill a 15-minute spot. But it was at the same time that Eve was on the main stage. So no one, like, I couldn't take it. So uh, WordProof actually took it, and he, uh, Sebastian did a great job uh, of that presentation, from what I understand. So we got extra representation of EOS on, on the side stage uh, because of WordProof being there. Um, and one um, last side note of Token 2049. What's up? I'm really disappointed for Shane. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but it is interesting at the event because Bullish were the title sponsors, and uh, Zaisen pulled a boss move. So this is a fun little Easter nugget from the conference was we get to the conference and the very first thing you do is you go to registration to get your badge and your lanyard. The lanyards were branded with bullish. And I was like, oh man, this is terrible. We're going to have bullish in all our pictures. Uh, but Zaisen to the rescue, they actually had their own lanyards. So the first thing we had to do and we had to like jerry rig them a little bit because they they weren't meant for uh, like one hole on the the lanyard card. They're set up for like two holes, so we had to we had to do some bending of 
metal to get the Zeissan lanyards to work with our uh, t- token registration cards from uh, Token 2049. It's funny. I was very happy to see that. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm unmuted. And and uh, big big thing I think was that the application showed the ENF and EOS logo um, when you opened the application. Yeah, that drove a ton of traffic to the booth actually. Yeah, so that was that was very very good. Great news, guys. Well done. I'm done budding in though. It's been over two hours. I will let Steph end it. All right, before we oh, do don't it, end it, I just got back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And James in the house. Okay. <laughs> Anything you want to share? Uh, just want to talk to my friends. <laughs> Yo, okay. All right. Conference. <laughs> so, conference was excellent. Um, I have never been a big proponent of conferences. However, being there and being able to talk to a lot of people who I could just prod and ask them about uh, how they feel about moving to other networks, what they would need to move to other networks, uh, if they've ever seen or heard about EOS or just what they want from a network was incredibly massive in my ability to create, uh, to make decisions about what to do with, you know, just developer relations and uh, how to reach out to developers. So it was a very, very good experience. Uh, and I took a lot away from it for how we can move forward. And we really liked uh, that you were there, uh, Nathan. Very nice. And I, and I loved meeting you and everybody from Zyset. <laughs> and I hope we can do it again. And I will I definitely see so, you in Portugal. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll love to be uh, on the show next week and talk a little bit more. I have to sign off now as well. All right. Have a good night, Rhett, and uh, talk to you next week. All right, who else is coming in here with some topics that they absolutely don't want us to wrap up? I got one. Let's go. This is Jesse with the bees. The bees swarms got upgraded yesterday, officially. We've been working for over a month. And we were actually able to do it really quickly. So huge, huge props to the B team, especially uh, Chevs with the chatbot and Nicholas with the data analytics. And they're saying young, they're stuck. And so what is very interesting about this is that what we've been doing is rewarding for objective tasks. And because it's objective, it's easier, I guess. But comments are subjective. So what we're doing is we're incentivizing better comments for the swarm. So just from the user perspective, if you request a new swarm, you are going to find better comments from the bees. And comments are subjective. So it's totally different processes that we had to build. And uh, 
I want to thank so Steph from uh, a few fireside fireside chats ago and Trimbot. Um, you gave us some feedback that the comments were so great, and so we built a system, and it got to, like we were really thinking about it, and it's like okay, well, how can this scale? And we didn't have a great answer, and we're just like we're just going to do it. We'll figure it out, and so. Um, there is an, I'm going to link this article that we came out with today and you'll, oh, it's, it's the Twitter. Okay. Yeah. It's the Twitter with the article on Bywire. And you'll see that, um, basically I'm going to start as like the teacher or the professor, I guess there's three categories of comments. There's not approved, good comment and great comment. And there are uh, financial rewards for achieving either a good or great comment. And uh, every Thursday now at 15 UTC, anyone's here is welcome to join. Or if you'd like to help me teach the bees, um, now they have an incentive to learn about what we're doing here and the, the information in the content that we swarm. I'm going to be um, teaching them how to write better comments and just teaching them just more generally about the the great stuff that we're doing here. And now there's all these in incentives in place to to do that. And I can imagine um, in the future, if there's, uh, um, you know, knowledge experts in different areas of stuff that we swarm, other people can be grading these, con these comments. But so we launched this yesterday and we had a swarm um, from Marco with briefings. And Nova Crypto did a swarm about the Eden Fractal brainstorming session. And uh, it was great. Uh, it, it works. And the, the backend system almost, almost got it perfect on the first time. We had a couple errors that we cleaned up, but it's, it's really been working great so far. We just activated a swarm like literally less than five minutes ago um, with Trimbot. And so, yeah, guys, uh, the subsidized swarms are available and they are going to be available up through the last week of the Palmelo donation period. And so swarms just got more valuable and that's great. And so that's just going to be better for EOS. Now we have this like uh, uh, the bees um, in volume, um, leveraging the biases in the social media algorithms. And now we're going to have more community engagement. We're going to grow knowledgeable, intelligent community members. And uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, guys. So thanks, everyone, for your support. Um, and so, yeah, this is a big step forward for us. And uh, yeah, um, again, Thursday, 15 UTC, I'll be doing these calls. Um, I could certainly use some help, probably. So please feel free. Um, welcome to join. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys around for sure. Thanks. Awesome, Jesse. Uh, quick, uh, quick questions. Um, who? Uh, maybe I missed it, but who determines what is a good or great or not applicable comment? Is it? I guess that has to be a manual process. Or yes, I do. So I'm that figured this out already. <laughs> yeah. So in AI would be would be very useful. Um, so I'm going to start in that role, and. Uh, in the future, yeah. we can have other people that are experts on different t types of content, but I consider myself 
especially relative to the bees who mostly don't know about crypto. I am an expert on EOS and Antelope blockchains. And so I feel qualified to teach them and grade their comments. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so boy, do I have some gems for you. All right. <laughs> Um, so we're building, um, apart from just the developer relations and developer centric stuff, we're also building a course for content creators so that they can understand what it means to create content for networks such as Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, one of our recent hires, uh, is actually one of the top 200 LinkedIn content creators. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's here has been looking at my Twitter, but I've been really digging into how to develop Twitter and social network. Um, yes, you have. We're going to be we're going to be releasing this course for the community as a whole. This can definitely be an education material for the bees. I would also uh, love to see you crowdsource that um, that element. And if there's anything that I can do to help you do that, just reach out and let me know. Awesome. Sounds great. Another great source of educational content is the hot sauce that is live every week on Fridays where we try to recap all of the best news in EOS of that week in about 20 minutes. So, of course, these firesides are great. You can get in here live, talk about the, the subjects, etc. But if you don't have two hour, two to seven hours every week to listen to all the fireside, you know, you can get... Uh, the summaries, basically, of all this content uh, on the fire on the hot sauce shows that uh, I'm now hosting uh, every Friday at noon Eastern. Figured I'd give a little plug to the hot sauce there as well. Uh, could I uh, respond to um, Daniel Keys? He said, "Love this update. Thank you." Something else I've been pondering about swarms is their risk that the Twitter algorithm will start detecting a pattern of these swarms and downgrading the reach. I think that it is a risk in the very long term. Like we are so super, super small in the grand scheme of Twitter. And uh, if you could just like think about it, like take an account like Elon Musk, the, the same people like and retweet his tweet all the time. And it's, like it doesn't really make sense for like it's it's extremely I've really tried to think about this. It's extremely hard for Twitter to find these connections. And especially since, you know, we keep stats about how many extra likes and retweets and comments does the swarm content get outside of the bees. And there's always some extra depending on the tweet. Like uh Eve's tweets gets the most extra out of all the other swarms that we've done. Um, it is a risk for the very long term, you know, if we are still here in five or 10 years. Uh, but for now, we're too small. Um, as, a, as an addition to that also, uh, so I'm not doing anything with the bees and I'm still in some engagement groups, quote unquote, engagement groups where we're like-minded people within the same niche who help each other with their content. And we also like and retweet each other's content if it's applicable to our audience. So this isn't something that's necessarily um, only for the bees. This is something that happens Twitter-wide with accounts. Uh, so I don't think that anybody has to worry about that happening specifically. One thing that I would mention as a little bit of feedback for the bees, 
having both a hashtag and a cash tag is a little bit iffy. If we could reduce it to just maybe a cash tag, that would be awesome. Why? Why is that iffy? Uh, because having both seems markety, and it's easy to track that, right? It's not often that accounts use both a hashtag and a cash tag within the same post. In fact, most accounts don't use, most big accounts don't use hashtags at all anymore. Interesting. I will, uh, I will look to verify some of your claims there and I will get back to you guys. Um, I, I guess I feel like I was one of the people who initiated, reinitiated the cash tag on EOS. So some of the thought behind that is uh, when it comes to sentiment analysis tools, which are created by third parties, and as much as we would like them to track the data we want, they track what they track. And it was kind of uncovered that some of these sentiment analysis tools are not tracking the hashtags, they're only tracking the cash tags for certain cryptocurrencies. And up until a couple of months ago, nobody really used the EOS cash tag in, the, in our own community, at least. I never did. I always used the hashtag. So the idea, um, for, from my standpoint, when I tweet from either my personal account or the ENF account, is if I'm going to mention EOS, and this comes back to looking corporate, it does, so it's not, it doesn't look organic necessarily. But um, if I mention EOS twice in the same tweet then I just take advantage of the opportunity of I'm not going to use a hashtag twice, so I'll, I'll plug both the hashtag and the cash tag. Um, I'm not a fan of adding like the hashtags to the bottom of a tweet just to add them for the sake of adding them. But if it's, in, if it's within the context of, of the tweet, then I, I think that's a, a solid strategy. But I think your point was it looks markety, and it, it does because it's usually from the, uh, com the uh, ENF account. That, that's a great nuance that the fact that if there's a cash tag and a hashtag at the bottom of the tweet and it's not used in context, I totally agree. And I, I guess I'm guilty of that a little bit. Um, although the bees have been trying to amplify other people's content, we don't actually create a lot of content ourselves. But um, I think it's a good just kind of um, thing to say that try to use your cash tags and hashtags in context. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know about adding them to the bottom if that hurts you or helps you. All I know is there's certain sentiment analysis tools which are used by investors and institutions, and some of them track both cash and hashtags. Some of them only track one, so that's why it's difficult to just uh, zone in on just one of them because there's so many different tools out there and they're all tracking different things. And what we want to do is show EOS trending on as many of those dashboards as we can. All right, let's talk Pomelo for a bit. Is Daniel Keyes still with us? Ah, I was just about to jump in. You, you were reading my mind. Thank you, Steph. Um, Welcome to the fireside. So, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, just friendly reminder, everyone. Uh, applications are now open for season four. They've been open since Monday, so three days now. Uh, we haven't approved any grants yet. We're sort of collecting them and waiting to approve them in batches. Uh, but I can share some numbers with you guys. We've got, I think, 68 grants, if I'm not mistaken, now that have been submitted. I've got uh, a little less than 30 lined up to be approved. Um, another 30 in my 20, actually, 21 in my Q2 review still that I haven't had a chance to yet read. 
Um, so we're making good good progress. Um, and we got a brand new feature launching this season that's pretty exciting. Uh, shout out to the Pomelo team. I think they did a great job on this one. Uh, Yaro and Aiden, our designer, Yaro, our developer, uh, did a great job with this feature. It's, it's Pomelo Collections. Uh, and this is a tool for anyone to create a collection of their favorite grants to basically advertise your favorites and encourage the community to donate to those grants. Um, I think it's powerful for two different audiences um, or two different purposes. One, every season we have more and more grants submitted. Um, last season we had, I think, over 170 that were approved. And that's a lot of content to read through. If you're a donor, you've got some some tokens you want to help direct where the matching pool is going and you want to do it responsibly and you want to read every single grant, that's a big effort. And maybe you don't even have all the context or knowledge to be able to make solid decisions in certain cases. Maybe you're not a very technical person and you're reviewing highly technical grants. Um, so with collections, instead of reviewing all the grants on the grant page, you can just review the grants that are in the collections of the community members you trust and respect. So there'll be different collections created by different members of the community. Obviously, everyone has different levels of reputation. This is an opportunity to build up that reputation as well. And, uh, you know, lowers the barrier for donors to be able to just focus on donating to the grants, kind of like a proxy for a BP. Donate to the, to the, um, to the grants that you've, uh, for the people you trust. Um, and at the same time, this is a way to hold grants uh, accountable. Um, this is a big piece of feedback we're hearing uh, when, we, when we do our servers and we talk to the community after every season. Um, what, what a lot of people want to see is a way to, um, you know, better know that a grant is delivering what they promised they would do. And right now it's very hard to, again, unless you're going through every single grant and then following up individually with every single grant owner and checking their work that they actually delivered what they said they were doing. Again, that's a prohibitive barrier. That's just not going to happen. So what, again, with collections, we're sort of empowering the community to do that themselves. You know, you can create a, a collection, for example, that these are the grants that I've vetted that have actually delivered value and, and did what they promised they would do. And we're doing it in a decentralized wisdom of the crowd way, rather than the Pomelo team you know, taking that role and deciding who's delivering value. We're letting the community leverage their own reputation to to do that work. And and again, making it a, a better experience for donors and uh, giving it an opportunity for the grant owners to get more exposure by, you know, delivering season over season and finding them their grant in one of these collections because they've proven themselves. And, you know, if you end up in a collection of a well-respected community member, you're more likely to attract more donations. So uh, very excited to see how this plays out this season. It's already live. Uh, so feel free to go to pomelo.io slash collections or just go to pomelo.io, click that collections button, start playing with it, create a collection of your own. Uh, again, there's no grants yet approved in the system, but you're able to create collections with unapproved grants or even previous season grants. Um, and, you know, keep, keep an eye, we'll be approving our first batch of grants uh, in the next day or so. 
Quick question, Daniel. Uh, what's the process going to be exactly? Like you go a collection and then you add them all to your cart or is there going to be like a, a donate one EOS to each of these collections or how's that going to work exactly? Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility there. We're, um, we are in the process of publishing an article that goes through all the how-to, but I'll quickly kind of go over it. Um, you can uh, you go to the collections page, you can browse the collections by, everyone can create three collections um, and they're, you, you get a lot of information about the person who created that collection, kind of their reputation, and then the grants in that collection. And once you when you open that collection, you have the option of either adding all of those collections to your cart with one button. There's a big add all to cart button. Or you can just into, go through that collection as, as you would browse on the regular grant page and just add the ones that you like from that collection. So a lot of flexibility to the grant, uh, to the donors on how, you know, whether they want to just blindly donate to everything in a collection or pick and choose the ones they, they like the most. And you can, you know, and it's, you can decide how much you want to donate to each of those uh, grants in the collection. Yeah. So in previous seasons, what I would do is I would go over all the grants, kind of donate one EOS to every grant I support, and then do a second wave and donate more to specific grants. But the more I'm thinking about these collections, the more I'm thinking this season, I'm probably just going to donate to a bunch of collections and, I assume that the more popular high value projects are going to come up in more collections and, and you know, I'll be able to donate more to those projects uh, that way. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, to playing around with that. I think it's going to be a great feature uh, that's going to help a, a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Be more efficient, I guess, in their, in their Pomelo experience. Um, on my side, of course, uh, will be, I'll be hosting the Pomelo pitch sessions this year. Again, I've talked about it couple of times gonna keep talking about it uh you know as the season goes on here over the next four weeks um there will be a form to sign up for these pitch sessions that form uh will be activated after the first round of approvals which is going to happen you know in the next uh, day or two maybe um so definitely follow Puma at Pamela grants on twitter to be informed when this when this uh, form goes live. I'm also going to include the link to that form in the Pomelo Twitter bio. So it's already always gonna be there on the homepage if you visit at Pomelo Grants. And an idea was proposed to me today, which I'm kind of embarrassed I didn't think about before, but we're gonna be creating a collection of all of the grants that showed up to these pitch sessions. So if you want to reward the community members that are most active, that are putting themselves out there, you know, taking the time to uh, prepare their five minute pitch if they're doing the English pitch sessions and, and present, then we'll have a collection going uh, that's going to allow you to reward those people very easily. I have, I have a question for you. Yes. When bounties? Great question. Soon. Ooh, yeah, I've been, been asking that question for <laughs> Such months. Such a crypto response. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I've getting been close. Asking we're, it for months. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're getting there. Uh, we're we're kind of at the home stretch of the completing the flow to actually be able to do a whole you know create a bounty, apply for a bounty, claim the bounty. Um, so we're getting we're getting towards completing that ability to do that whole whole flow, and then there's going to be some polishing to do, and we'll do some uh, you know internal eating our own dog food, like, just like just like you are with that dev portal. We're going to start getting the ENF involved in in testing it and playing with it, since we expect they're going to be a heavy user 
of bounties, maybe do a bit of a soft launch before we do you, do you want to maybe um, talk about what this is here so that people expect what's sure. Coming? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Uh, so bounties is it's very synergistic with grants. So, you know, I'll, I'll paint a scenario. I'm, I'm someone I recently entered the community. I've got a great idea. I create a Pomelo grant for this thing. Um, you know, it's a good idea. Now, maybe I'm a good project manager, but this this thing, this idea I have is going to require some devs and some designers. Uh, and I don't have a team, but I've just raised a bunch of money. And I made a commitment to the community that I'm going to deliver this thing. Now what? Well, I can take that money I raised, or I can take money I already had and create a bounty. Say, hey, I need someone to design the UI for this idea I have. I need somebody to code up this smart contract. I need someone to translate my Pomelo grant. You put it up. It's a you know a, you link a GitHub issue. You load up some EOS to fund it, and anybody can apply to complete that bounty. And uh, the the person who's funded it can accept or decline the the person they want to uh, offer that bounty to. And when the bounty, we, the Pomelo really just acts sort of like an escrow. You deposit the, 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 um, bounty into the smart contract and it's released to the person who completed the bounty when the work is completed. And that's, that's really it. It's pretty basic. Love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for the question. I mean, I think that this is something that, uh, a lot of us are looking a lot of us who know what this is are looking forward to because we can instantly see exactly how this will be used and who will need it and uh it's gonna have a pretty big impact yeah i really can't wait to get it into into the community's hands uh it's our it's a top priority right now uh, on the pomelo team so we're yeah we're really pushing to get this out as soon as possible um yeah hard to predict the development timelines we're getting we're getting closer and closer every week, and, and uh, I think we're yeah, approaching the finish line. Nathan's not the only one that's uh, looking. I mean, everyone's looking forward to the bounty. So one of the things that uh, even I, uh, Eve, actually thought of it uh, while we were in London was we've him and I have been to a couple of conferences together at this point, and we see the value of community members helping support, helping to support the presence of EOS at these conferences and at our booths. Uh, for example, uh, Sebastian from WordProof was at the most recent one. Um, also at, in, in London, there was Tiago from EOS Rio. We had uh, Ross from Eosphere. There's clear value to that. So what if uh, next year, as our event strategy kind of matures, what if we put out bounties that anyone in the community to it can apply to and we say, hey, we're going to be in San Diego at this conference on this date a couple months from now that would allow and and here this is the amount that we're offering as a stipend for your lodging and for for your time to to help work the conference then anyone in the eos community will be able to apply to that bounty then the enf could take those applications and determine who 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 to bring to these conferences to represent eos and ideally it would be people uh, local to these different areas especially in different countries because travel is typically the biggest cost so 
Uh, for example, if we were in London, if there's active community members in London who are intelligent enough and able to speak to uh, what's going on in the network, then they would have an opportunity to do work for the network, which is exactly what we've been trying to do with all of these different funding pillars, from Eden to Palmelo to direct grant funding, is how do we uh, provide value to the people who are uh, giving value uh, back to the network? How, if you have a skill set that's valuable to the network, how could we reward people? And the bounty system is something that I'm incredibly excited for, and the opportunities are going to be endless. Love that idea. Yeah, and, and like you said, the there's, there's no limit to what you can use this for. Uh, it's not just for developing things. It's, it, you can really create a bounty for anything that you want. There will be some limits. I mean, there's some features like the, uh, like um, what Zach was mentioning was a really good idea, but those are like advanced, advanced features uh, that will come for sure. Like we've talked about a lot of different types of implementation. So the first iteration of Bounty will be a sort of a one-to-one -one relationship with a funder and a receiver. Um, and I think what Zach was mentioning was more of a one-to-many, but all of these features down the road will be implemented at one point. So um, it will do a lot, but one feature at a time. Te technically, what I described to be done off chain, also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we definitely plan on having. You know, this is more of the the escrow, the the sort of functionality. But there is nothing preventing someone to kind of create that that redistribution after the first distribution. So for sure, uh, they could be off chain agreements um, for you know that one to many partnership. Because it gets it gets almost like a little governance, right? Like where, you know, once you receive a bounty and you receive, let's say, a uh, hundred EOS or a thousand EOS, and you say, well, I have a team, and the team is five people. Who gets what? That might be determined more on the team organization and not the bounty structure. But we can eventually add, you know, more functionality to help users kind of redistribute funds within their own team. But that would be um, more of an advanced feature so down the road. So the way I envision it is I put out a bounty, I need specific work done. There might be mm -hmm. five different people that complete yep. all of the same work and submit their work. So in, in the example of the conferences, it'd be like, we're going to pay 500 EOS to ambassadors to represent EOS at this particular conference in this city on this particular date. It's really just, uh, it, I would expect people to send almost like their EOS resume to this. And then the bounty uh, creator would accept the the applicant or applicant. So if it was, let's say, one applicant, I guess what you're saying is I couldn't accept th three out of out of fifty applications. I could not accept three of them. That, that's the uh, limitation okay. that you're describing. Correct for now. Yeah, for now. For now. Okay. You could potentially have th create three bounties if you, if you say. Yes, I've got a that, budget that's the workaround. Have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and like and I said, it could all be done off chain. It's nothing. It's nothing too fancy. Yeah. It, it was just an idea that came out of it, and Pamela Bounties was kind of the trigger of, "Oh, this would be a great idea." Um, oh, yeah, but it's something we're going to do regardless of uh, it being sure. ideally through Pamela. It's just a great way to showcase the technology and the timing will align because this won't be happening until next year at the earliest. And ultimately, this serves a lot of other communities outside of our. Uh, yeah. So there's Hacktoberfest, for instance, which I was really hoping this would be live for. Um, and Hacktoberfest is basically an open source uh, initiative where people just come and work on open source for the month of October. If something with 
like this was live during that duration, then it would create a added layer of incentive for people to come work on this. And it's not really something that you see elsewhere, right? You don't see this even outside of uh, crypto. So it'd be great to have this tooling available for projects even within or with outside uh, of the crypto ecosphere. For sure. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of good ideas, a lot of good use cases, for sure. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Daniel, you were saying? No, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity. Unfortunately, yeah, we won't be ready for this Oktoberfest, but maybe the next year, definitely by next year. And hopefully there'll be some, uh, even some earlier things between now and the next one, opportunities like that. But yeah, lots of different things this can be leveraged for. And I really can't wait to see what the community does with it. Yeah, and the one-to-many um, thing was coded by NS James recently, and the bees use it. Um, just yeah. FYI. Yeah, it's it's mostly just to yeah to lock in a uh, sort of a bounty to one single user. But once that user has funds, they can go and split it again. Uh, but it would be outside of the realm of let's say Pomelo. Uh, we do a support, um, we'd be supporting initially uh, many funders. So let's say you have a bounty and you want to contribute 50% of the funds required to create that bounty. You can ask a friend, you can ask a, you know, another person. So you can have multiple funding partners, uh, but only one person to lock it in. And then in the future, we can try to add those features of the many applicants into one. But it's going to be... One Even a very simple version of that, where it's like, for example, you know, 100 EOS, I've got a 100 EOS bounty and have the option that more than one person can, up, we can accept more than one person for that standard amount, mm -hmm. rather than some governance system to decide who gets what. It's yeah. like, okay, you can, you can approve three people to each get 100 EOS, applying for the same single bounty um, without any, you know, complicated... You know, you know the, the more advanced version of this is I want a whole product, bounty for a whole product, and I need to divide this bounty between a front-end developer and a, you, and a designer and a product manager, and each of them are getting a different amount of the cut, and, you know, that's much more complicated. Not, not something that, that we'll see, you know, anytime in the near future on, on bounties, but a simple version, perhaps. So looking forward, what's after bounties? Oh, there's things. Uh, we have to figure out what the priority <laughs> <Things>. is. <laughs> there's a lot of there's, things. Yeah, really features cool. that have been requested, like the commenting function, for example, yeah. to be able to comment on and add comments. Um, yeah, that's one I would say that's probably the, been the requested next quite a lot. Yeah, I would say that's probably the next priority. Um, we've got a lot of ideas we're pulling around. And what, another thing we're working on as a team is bringing some more transparency to the long-term roadmap. So we're, we're going to start actually having a, a public roadmap for Pomelo that we'll, we'll be publishing when it's ready. Um, got some more work to do to kind of define that better. And, and, and also keep in mind, you know, it can change, you know, as, as the priorities change over time, as we discover new opportunities that bring more value 
Um, so any roadmap we put out would be, you know, just uh, this is our current thinking of what the what the priorities are and when you'll see them. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Love it. Project I mean, listen. I see Mel, see Mel saying, so we've got the uh, last season update stuff. We've added collections. Uh, and we're hoping to see more and more third-party community members, you know, serve almost like an audit function. Um, and again, leveraging collections, leveraging that last season update, and then having a third party to, you know, read that last season update, verify that it's true, and then putting that in a collection. And there you go, you got a little third-party audit system basic running on, on uh, Pomelo Grants. And sorry for cutting you off there, uh, Nathan. That's all right. I had Telegram messages. Um, I was going to say, listen, I love, love, love what Pamela is doing. I think it's something that uh, people like me who came from the community and who very much believe in community building and open source uh, really, really require. It's something that we didn't have in the past and a lot of other open source initiatives simply don't have. And it's incredibly important in order to keep something sustainable and surviving for the long term. Um, there's something right now that I would put on Pramela Grants if I had even a second of time in order to do. But sadly, I don't. And it's definitely something that I'm pushing people to look at because... There's a lot of people that want to build things, and the biggest problem they have is, how am I going to sustain myself? How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to feed my kids? And this really gives them the opportunity to get over that hump, validate their ideas, and make sure that they have a good start to their to their journey. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words. So these testimonials really drive us we're we're getting we get so much great feedback from people who've participated in pomelo over the seasons uh, in fact we just had our one year anniversary with pomelo grants and the team is now putting out a series of thank you thank you uh so if you haven't seen the testimonials that have been each day we're dropping another one um they've been awesome to see you know from the words of the grant creators the impact that this has um it's you know that's really what drives me yes exactly uh happy anniversary to pomelo since october last year that's just fantastic and like you said ns james i think if you will uh, if you would begin scatter in this in those times at this time you could maybe go on pomelo for sure so that's a nice, nice place to see uh, tractions for your grant, more you evolve. And also that's the place to do a fantastic collaboration with other Pomelo grant owner. That's uh, for me, that's, that's that also. So shout out to the Pomelo team. Hey, hey Patrick, uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for the kind words for Pomelo. Um, I, I, off topic of Pomelo, but while you're here, Patrick, uh, I have some sad news to announce actually for you and for everyone that participates in these fireside chats. Um, we were very uh, disappointed 
to find out last week that uh, our favorite sound effect, the Yeah Baby sound effect, is getting copyrighted when we use it. So no. We're, we're done. Oh, you know what, the- Stefan? You know what, Stefan? We're done with the awesome when you power s- sound effect, but what oh. we need, Patrick, is we need you to record a new Yeah Baby Yeah. So and we'll we'll Yeah, I, I am ins- I am inspired yes. now. I am very inspired now. So take your soundboard and I will say here a Yeah Baby for ENF because they are fucking doing what they are committed to to do. I have a lot of respect for uh, for ENF for. Uh, for uh, Yves LaRose, Zach Gaul, Brandon Lovejoy, uh, Zizen Global with Red Outderpool, uh, Jana Schiffer, um, Martin Breuer, and, and all the people that are into, involved into the rebirth of uh, EOS, Antelope, and all that. So for me, I respect that because you are doing all what you can to, to give more value for EOS, to give more value for the network. It's not easy when we are into position like uh, Yves LaRose, but he's a big bird samurai. Uh, I remember when I was interviewing him on the EOSIO Swiss workshops. I have also interviewed one time uh, Zach Gold. We were together with Liquid Apps. So I have a lot of memories coming now. And yeah, I want to give here the best yeah baby that I can. Okay, so three, two, one zero, yeah, baby. Awesome. <laughs> Good job, Patrick. Okay. Get you in the studio, Patrick. Okay. And you know what? You know what? You do a fantastic job. Every day we do a fantastic job. Imagine we are going the Eden Fractal with Dancing Joy. We are collaborating with Jesse Jaffe of EOSBs. We are collaborating between us. We are doing a fantastic job. So it's not the time to complain about some EOS that were received, well well made, by the way, well made, well made. And it's not the time to, to fight. It's the time to be very unita- unified around the initiative that we are doing. Pomelo. Pomelo, it's the very good place. Eden on EOS, we are doing something fantastic. So shout out to everyone here. It's not the time to complain. It's the time to do the things, fucking doing the things. Not the time to masturbate your brain. You have to do the things. So, yeah, baby, we are in EOS. Hello, Patrick. Okay? Okay. Bye. Yeah, I don't know if I've told you lately, Patrick, but I love you, man. Yeah, I love you too, Ernest James. I remember when I was creating my virtual nodes in the Swiss Alps, in a former former military bunker in the Swiss Alps, I was building my uh, EOS nodes and with virtual box. And I remember that I was watching your video that you published about creating a, a node with virtual box. And I was messaging you and where you was uh, seeing that I, have, I was coming with uh, Nova Crypto, NCO, you were messaging me, are you from the FBI? <laughs> and you see, we are four years later, later, and I am still here. So I am really not from the FBI, for sure. 
but I am from the art. I don't know, I'm a little skeptical. Are you uh, playing the long game? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love. And, and Zach, uh, shout out to you, shout out to you, yeah. And yeah, Stefan Bisson also, everyone here. You do a fantastic job, okay? Chris Barnes also, he do a fantastic job. He's fucking committed. He's, he's stating the things. He has the balls. Um, I love you all. So stay tuned here in, into the EOS Fireside chat. That's the best place to come. The EOS also is on the Friday at 16 UTC. That's the place to, to go. Uh, also prepare the water because that's very spicy, by the way. And come also on the Antelope Swiss workshop. The next one is on December 9. I have a good EV panel coming. So join, uh, let's say, watch the video. That's always with my best uh, breakdown that I can do. We are here to understand the things. I am very interested about to understand how is going the things. Not too much about the price. But yeah, yeah, guys, we need a better price for sure. But, but we are not here for that. We are not here for that, for sure. We are here because we love the blockchain. Yeah, baby, sound effect ready to go, but I don't have it yet. Okay, I redo. Yes, baby. These are great, but I need you to record one offline and just send me that audio file, and and we'll get it. We'll get it rocking next week. Okay. Oh, Max Cho, Max Cho in the chat. Shout out to Max Cho. Um, he's going to be helping host our Pomelo pitch sessions for the Korean community. Uh, I saw his message earlier, forgot to mention that. So, of course, the pitch sessions, we've got English version, Korean version, Chinese version. You can apply for all of them, you know, in that same uh, Google form uh, that's going to be up uh, very soon, which, uh, you know, you can get in there once you're approved, once your grant is approved. So make sure, submit your grant applications for Pomelo uh, as soon as possible. Donations are going live next week, uh, so you want to make sure that your application is up and approved when donations go live. We always see a big surge of donations on the first day, and then that's when your uh, application, your grant can kind of rise above and get early donations and kind of, you know, stay on top of that leaderboard, which helps attract attention. So definitely uh, get those applications in. There you go, Daniel Keyes sharing hot off the press Pomelo Rules article. Uh, last season, there was still some confusion in the community about uh, the specific rules of Pomelo. So uh, make sure to read that article, share it with uh, some friends, share it with people that you see in the community asking questions. Um, and there's going to be some videos about it soon. Well, I'm there will be. Yeah, that's right. Featuring a majestic mustache. A majestic oh. mustache, yes, my works exactly. What majestic mustache? <laughs> I love the mustache. I appreciate that. I hope I'm as, as a man who's been trying to grow a mustache for a long time, I'm incredibly envious. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I I I, I forget to to shout out to uh, Andrew Ware. He made a good uh, arrangement of the of the the song that I made. Don't write me off with the drums. So maybe uh, Andrew, maybe you can you can share that again here. 
I, I, I got to find it. It's probably somewhere on my computer, but I'll, I'll find it. It is inspiring. That was a nice one. Thank you very much. The drums are particularly inspiring, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, made by a moustache man. That's fantastic. All right, we're going three hours, ladies and gentlemen. I like it. All still about forty people left. Hey, Dwayne, did you want to come on share some some, some thoughts with the community? No, I'm, uh, it sounds like I'm going edgy. Sorry. I don't think Dwayne is talking to us. I will server mute Dwayne. I'm pretty sure Dwayne was saying something there. Um, it just sounded really faint. Yeah, okay. Give you another chance, Dwayne. If you were indeed talking to us. All right, Daniel Keys has got to go. See you, Daniel Keys. Thank you for uh, the Pomelo update. And uh, yeah, have fun. Thanks, everyone. Good luck with your Pomelo pitches. That roll in. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, Daniel. Daniel. Thank you, Stefan. There's something I was going to say, by the way, Stefan, if it's okay. This is uh, Dancing Joy. Yes, Dan. <clears throat> okay, cool. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, thank you very much. And I know we've been going for a while, so I won't go for too long. But I just wanted to, uh, I guess, say two things. Um, one, um, or uh, maybe three things. So uh, one, thank you, Pamela team, and a uh, great call. Go EOS. Go EOS team. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I also wanted to comment on the... Uh, thing that you're saying so far about the yeah baby being copyrighted so uh, there's also a funny thing that happened with the Eden Fractal today or over the past week which uh, uh, about a week ago um, pa uh, Patrick asked Lad to build a new feature into the uh, into the user interface for Eden Fractal and then now when people submit their votes it sometimes pops up saying this is patrick speaking are you ready to submit your vote yeah baby or something like that so the yeah baby is living on a different way <laughs> and uh, thank you patrick and, and and vlad for making that change happening uh and then also i'm hearing different voices is there an audio problem or i think it's running again okay. okay cool thank you um yeah, so yeah, baby, and thank you, Patrick and Vlad. That's pretty funny, and I'm looking forward to getting that audio recording, and thank you also, uh, Patrick, for the inspiring speech, and thanks, everybody. And then the other thing I was going to say, too, I'm not sure if, uh, if Patrick said it or anybody else said it before, but my audio was breaking up when Jesse was speaking, uh, but the uh, swarms that Jesse's doing with um, the comments are, are super cool. So, uh, yeah, Patrick, yeah. Um, it, it, Patrick published the Eden Factor Brainstorming Session, Yesterday we met, uh, there was uh, seven of us and we had a great conversation and then Patrick made a tweet, he swarmed it and then there was a lot of really thoughtful comments from the ESPs uh, during that, like uh, and people were really engaging with the content and who were looking into it and so that's really cool and really helpful and so I wanted to give a shout out to Jesse and the Bees uh, and Nicola and, and Chavs and all of them for doing great work. So yeah, thank you very much and go Bees. Yeah, totally. Go bees and go Jesse Jaffe. No, it's not about one man, but uh, Jesse is just well-minded. He do a fantastic job, so we have to to support him into this Pomelo season four for sure. And there are also another Pomelo grant that are very very uh, fantastic. And I love the new feature uh, collections. And I am building a mind web Pomelo uh, mind map 
for the collections and the people can send the links to their collections and this pomelo mind web mind map collections will be swarmed too so that will give a nice awareness for the for pomelo for the projects and we have we have to go out of the box that's that's the point we are doing fantastic things here and uh, shout out to to dancing joy he's doing also a fantastic job with uh, eden fractal very committed week week after week now we just uh, began the brainstorming sessions that was a nice one uh, that we made yesterday the first one and that's a proof of concept we we are not committed for 20 weeks just for three episodes on the end of this year and we will see how it goes but nice uh, nice place to 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 join so i encourage the people to to pay attention and yeah a lot of project uh, on eos uh, around eos uh, collaborative circles I, i love that i don't know for you but that's just uh, exciting all right we got drew block coming in here with a song let me play that for everyone risky click but let's go risky click okay <laughs> Is this the end? Is, are we signing off on this, or is there is there more to talk about today before we sign off? Um, don't want. There's to always more to talk about. All right, what do you want oh. to talk about, uh, Nathan? No, no, don't put me on the spot like that. I can, <laughs> I can give some alpha. Uh oh. Uh oh. Go, go for it. Risky move. Risky move. Power three alpha best kind of alpha so one of the things that zach and i uh undertook very early on when the enf launch was to prioritize usdt eos um that was at the end of last year and uh, as everybody knows then at the end of last year uh, around the world regulations tightened up significantly particularly in china where a lot of the exchanges are located such as Huobi, binance okx etc and so that file was essentially shelled for a period of time because we just couldn't get it moving uh, again. Now, that changed, and I brought this up on a few far sides ago or so. Um, we have uh, basically reached agreements uh, in part, so we're just finalizing the, the, the going over of it with Binance and Huobi. Um, for those who are adventurous, you can already send USDT EOS on Binance. It already works. You won't see in the UI as an option, but when you send it, it should appear in your wallet. So don't send anything big, but we've tested it out um, and then it'll appear. You're good. And so we're just finalizing the term sheets and then we're going to start marketing this uh, with them because that's really what this is about. It's marketing that, that functionality. But essentially, we will have uh, USDT EOS uh, enabled on, on two of the more prominent exchanges uh, imminently. That's some good alpha. Some good oh man, I was just market buying USDT. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I guess why that's important, we talked about this before, but currently um, Tron is by far the most used USDT version of USDT. Um, so Tron, uh, USDT TRC20. 
Um, I don't recall the exact number, but it's something like $20 billion or so of USDT transacts on the Tron network or leveraging the Tron network. Um, and the big functionality of this is between CEXs. So when you want to transfer from one exchange to another and you want to transfer funds because then you want to bring it on a particular chain in order to leverage you know, DeFi on that chain or whatnot, um, then you transact typically between exchanges. And right now, people by default uh, go to USDT Tron. Uh, and, and so that number is actually much greater than even the market cap of Tron because people use that function. Um, and the reason why people typically use Tron is because the fees are negligible and the speed is almost instantaneous. So now we provide, we will be providing uh, as EOS an alternative uh, for that. So a lot of people are using Tron not because they want to, but because that's the only choice out there. The other choices, I guess, are Solana, ERC20, etc. Uh, so having that function enable increases throughput, leveraging the mainnet. And also, whenever something like uh, DeFi applications launched uh, on EOS, what we saw, one of the issues was that some people wanted to participate on the DeFi or any type of application on the chain, but there was no mechanism for them to actually port over uh, their liquidity. And so imagine you're a user, you're in one part of the world, and the only exchange that you have access to is Binance, but you somehow want to bring on USDT onto EOS in order to be able to you know, leverage whatever application is, is there that, that requires that or that you see an opportunity there. Well, you had had to transact from, let's say, Binance to another exchange that supported USDT EOS, and those exchanges were far few in between. And oftentimes, depending on where you are, you don't have that option. You, you, you can't do that because you can't have an account on that other exchange that actually offers that. And so it blocked out people that wanted to participate, that had capital, that wanted to bring liquidity on EOS from doing so. And so opening up to tier one exchanges um, and then leveraging that to then open to more and more and more is very, very advantageous for EOS as it prepares for more volume and uh, applications coming on. I will be the last man standing on this fireside, guys, just so you know. I'm not gonna end this. It'll only end when everyone's gone. Yeah, it's, it's a test of endurance now. It's like these Mr. Beast videos. Last one standing gets a pop token. Yes, I'm curious about the, the Pomelo bounties. Um, can these be used for anything? Like, could I issue a bounty for some completely random thing, or does it have to be related to something to do with Pomelo? No, you can do a bounty for whatever it is you want. 
you'd be putting up, uh, uh, I guess, an asset up for uh, in, in a smart contract that's essentially locked there. And then you would say, I don't know, I'm looking, be kind of silly, but I'm looking for somebody to walk my dog. Mm-hmm. That's located in the region around me. And as long as then somebody claimed that bounty and said, look, I'm going to come and walk your dog and you say yes. And then yeah, you could release that payment to them. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> Can I get someone to do dinner when firesides go four hours? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you could try. It doesn't mean somebody's going to claim the bounty. And or somebody might be offended that you put that bounty up. That's a whole different story. <laughs> or, or she'll, be, she'll be happy she gets paid for it now. Uh, perhaps. I, that's what I was referring to in terms of being offended, but yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, Patrick, I muted you here. I'm going to unmute you in case you wanted to get in there. Because I was just trying to maybe get a nice audio clip of Eve announcing the, uh, the Binance. Um, and I know when Patrick gets motivated, you know, we hear from him a lot, which is great, but hard when we're trying to do highlight reels. No, when Eve is speaking, I am always quiet. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. All right, since we're in the random section, the random idea section, <laughs> officially, of the fireside, my other thing is, eventually, we're going to have some functional IBC, but then it might just be kind of a, you know, not a lot for people to really see after that, you know, is available. <clears throat> um, can anyone imagine some sort of game that could be like a simple, you know, a simple way to illustrate the power of IBC just by like doing some simple app that lets you send tokens back and forth across different chains or something of that nature. I was trying to think of a way to <clears throat> just make it fun and simple. Um, not not particularly useful for anything, just illustrative. Or is that just weird? <laughs> I was hoping for the Jeopardy theme song, but I know you'd get flagged for that too, so... Well, that's a good one. Well, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep mulling it over. No one's, no one's been inspired yet. Thanks for joining, Lars, and thanks for that great Pomelo testimonial. Um, we shared that one, I think, yesterday, and Lars shared it up uh, higher here in the chat. Yeah, shout out to Komine Sushpat. Enjoy the kickboxing. I guess I can go check my list of topics here. Let's see, did we go through everything? Yeah, baby. <laughs> Ideathon final winners. I think we'll keep that for next week. Uh, pizza yield plan. 
I guess very quickly, I guess I can mention this. Um, Pizza DeFi protocol on EOS announced this week that they've incorporated the Yield Plus rewards in their platform. So the users of Pizza should be seeing a nice boost to their APY. So that's always nice to see. And uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, yeah, kind of makes the round for the topics I had noted down for today. Uh, I might be putting someone on the spot. Apologies. But you may see someone new in this chat, the Winfred. Winfred? <laughs> um, would you like to introduce yourself to the community today, or would we prefer to do it another time? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm prepared for this. Can you guys hear me? I hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, coming in uh, clear now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I joined um, the foundation literally today. <laughs> so this is really putting me on the spot. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be their senior growth marketing manager. I'm coming from the Zcash Foundation. So I worked as head of communications for the Zcash uh, ecosystem. And before that, I was working um, in the Ethereum space for a renewable energy project for five years. Um, and yeah, before that, I was trading Bitcoin and I still trade to this day. So I'm just like, I came for the money. I stayed for the tech, um, got super impressed by EOS and its governance and applied for a job. And so here we are today. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Thank you. Glad Happy to have you. you. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, if you wonder, really, yeah, baby, you have to ask me. Yeah, baby. Copyrighted. Yeah, I'll jump in there, too. Um, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Absolutely. Who's, yes, who's this? Cool. Hey, so this is Zach. Is this go on? Does this get posted on YouTube? It's already posted on YouTube, <laughs> on Facebook, oh, okay. on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're no, thanks. We're live everywhere to... and it's recorded forever. That's awesome. So I just have to be careful about what I say. But my name's Zach and um, I just wanted to introduce myself because I've been on a couple of these, but I've never really, well, I've never spoken at all. Um, so I've been in the EOS community for about four years now. I worked at Block One, developing it there, and then bullish for a very short period of time. And now I work at the e <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. And now I work at the ENF doing um, cloud infrastructure automation, that sort of stuff. And um, I really like it here so far. So I'm grateful to be, thank you. I'm very grateful to be back in the community doing big things again. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say hi. So I've been doing um, crypto stuff for almost 10 years now, um, trading. And then in 2016, I, I studied computer engineering, computer science and physics. So I, in 2016, I started like really taking crypto seriously and like trying to understand how it works and stuff and made a career out of it. So, hey, everyone, y'all seem like a pretty tight knit community. seems like people know each other and stuff. Um, so, yeah. I didn't realize thanks was for, your, uh, thanks for joining Discord. us. I, I added me. I added the ENF role to you on your Discord handle. I had no idea. I apologize for not uh, calling you out. It's no problem. I'm a pretty private and security conscious person, so I tend to fly under the radar. So no, no offense at all. Awesome. 
Great. We're looking forward to hearing more from you in future firesides. Anytime you want to, you know, share updates on whatever you're working on, we we love to hear it. Could could we get the trifecta? I see Ovi's on the call too. I don't think Ovi's ever said hello. You don't have to say much. Just say hello and maybe what you do. He's been with us for a while now, though. So if you don't want to talk, you don't have to. It's good to see that it only takes three hours for everyone to get comfortable enough to jump on the mic with us. So that's cool. I guess we'll we'll aim for three hour plus firesides then, if uh, if that's what it means to get more participation from all these various uh, community members. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, the the conversation today was pretty heady. So, but yeah, point taken for sure. For sure, big, big, big. Man, we're only we're only halfway to the record, though. <clears throat> yeah, it's true. I'm building a PC right now, so I got quite a few hours to just be listening. If you guys are saying anything remotely interesting. Maybe um, I see Martin and Yana are still in the house. Uh, I know they were at a crypto conference today. Maybe you guys want to jump on, say hi, maybe share a bit about how that went down. It's only like Wait, hey, hey, hey. 3 oh, a.m. out there or midnight? 20 past midnight. That's okay. That's okay. Uh -huh. I'm still alive. It's easy for you, uh, Martin. This used to be <laughs> 4 a.m. for you when you were in China. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Martin. Um, I'm not, the, so the conference that, was, that we were today, it was an art fair, actually. And uh, we were there last year already represented with an NFT project that we're pushing. Um, and uh, today, so this year, we were just like seeing, uh, yeah, looking really around what's still going on. So there was... Not so much NFT art like last year, but we made a couple of connections and preparing for something more next year. So super excited uh, about that. Uh, it was good, like meeting more people in person. And um, yeah, that's a short update from there. Um, cool. cool, cool, cool. Are you uh, are you going back to that conference? Is it uh, still going on for a few days? Or It's going on for a couple of days. They have uh, on Saturday, actually, a couple of panels uh, specifically about NFTs, and I'm planning to show up there. I'm not booked yet on the panel, but I definitely will be in the crowd asking some questions. Awesome. Representing yeah. the EOS <laughs> and Antelope community. Love it. Yeah, and uh, maybe, it's still... Maybe that, next that... year you'll be able to get bounties for doing that at co crypto conferences. Mm. I don't know yeah, if you I heard were that. there when Zach was talking about that, um, but I think that's a great concept, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I was there. A great fireside chat. Uh, congratulations to all. It was really uh, nice to listen in. I'm just testing out my new headphones, and they look pristine, uh, sound pristine. Um, yeah, um, I will. I can give some more updates about this uh, maybe next fireside chat. How the panels went uh, it seems generally people are still thinking about like the inventor uh, environmental impact of things and then it's really easy to to tell them hey they're really uh, environmentally friendly uh, 
uh, alternatives. Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like I'm happy that you guys met the people from Atomic Hub in London, um, because they have a new feature on on their side where you can basically choose um, uh, and then like uh, a park or like uh, something. Um, like uh, an, an environment protection project, like some something like a green forest or something, where part of your uh, royalties, part of the trading fees, get reinvested into into this project, uh, and then on your profile, you you can see how much uh, you donated over time and how much CO two was offset through your trading on Atomic Hub. Uh, that's a pretty cool feature, and I think they released this also. Uh, on London, they did a couple of. They announced a couple of things in London, um, as far as I know. I'm not sure if this was at Token 2049 or at the uh, NFT London. That was, I think, one week before. Um, yeah, but uh, kudos to um, Jonah and the rest of the Atomic Hub team, representing uh, Atomic Assets and the Antelope chains on all these NFT conferences. Getting sloppy with my sound effects. It's nah, sloppy. that's cool. Uh, every, everybody that wants to learn more about this, I think it's uh, atomichub.io slash green. There you can hear more about what they've done there. There are some nice uh, bonable resorts where you can donate or where you can just, you don't really need to donate. You just need to use atomic assets. Atomic Hub, and then uh, you auto donate, and then you accumulate donations over your trading history. What is the what is the URL? I can't find it. I, I can I can find it out. It was in our, in our show notes yesterday. Um, maybe if Jana is awake, she actually pitched this to me yesterday when we had like our live stream. Give me a sec. I, I will share it in in the, in the chat soon. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna wrap it up there. So last call. Yeah, I'm super excited for, for the song. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear the song. Yes, we're gonna end it with <laughs> the, the mustache reaching Patrick. Exciting <laughs> drums edition. All right. Let's wrap it up there. Um, thank you everyone for joining. Still 30 of you crazy people still with us love to see it we had over 70 i think at one point on today's fireside great conversation thank you very much to eve for taking the time to answer all of these questions uh and yeah thanks for everyone else who participated in the chat on the voice and just spamming the emojis and the pictures and everything it's been great so i uh, hope you all have a good evening a good night good afternoon wherever you are in the world and uh, until next week, let's go EOS! Go Eden Franco! Go EOS! Go EOS! We say go EOS! Go EOS! Go mindweb.io! All right. Thank you very much, and yeah, baby! For the song. It's never been easy for me 
find words to go along with a melody But this time there's actually something on my mind So please forgive these few brief awkward lines Since I met you, my whole life has changed Practically It's not just my furniture Oh, Dios.